the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Giver 2, Dark Hero, starring David Hayter, Kathy Christofferson, and Christopher Michael. Make coffee, push the start button. Giver. Put toast in the toaster, push the start button. Giver. Make breakfast. Giver. Stub your toe on the side of the counter. Uh, Giver! <laughs> hey, everybody. It's, uh... It's the most wonderful time of the year to talk about a movie called Giver 2, depending on what box you're looking at, yeah. or <laughs> Giver Dark Hero, or as I like to say, and, it's, and you can hear it in the intro, Giver 2 Dark Hero. Uh, because I think that would have been a lot better. Welcome, everybody, to Podcasting After Dark, Giver. Um, and I do not have uh, some weird thing going on, like a Twitch or something. I'm just Giver. Uh, excited <laughs> to talk about Giver. And joining me, it's me, Zach Schaefer, Giver. And joining me, as always, my Giver in crime, Corey Sleazy C. Stevenson. What's up, Corey? What's up, Giver? Zach, Giver? <laughs> go, go, Giver Rangers! Go, go, Giver! Uh, can I be the red Giver? Can I be the pink Giver? Yes. Uh, can I be in the pink Giver? <laughs> oh, well. Hey-o! Hey-o! <laughs> we are talking about the R-rated version of the Power Rangers, essentially. Uh, yeah. It is Giver. Yeah, and, and I... Uh, you know, we're going to do our whole rigmarole, uh, background, history, all that good stuff, uh, cast and crew. But before we do any of that, this episode is uh, being brought to you basically by Robert Ortiz. Robert Ortiz is a patron. He's also a friend, but he's at the highest tier of our Patreon series. And that is where you can pick a movie yourself. And Robert Ortiz did just that. He already chose Excalibur earlier in the month. And for this one, he chose Giver 2. We were a little backlogged with uh, our movies, other patrons' movies. So we just decided to double up with Robert, a double dose of (laughs) Robbie Ortiz in the month of November. And yeah, uh, Giver 2, Dark Hero, was Robert's choice. And before I get into my background with it, Corey, what's your background? What's your background with Giver 2, Dark Hero, Power well, Rangers, Dark? <laughs> go, go, rated our Power Rangers! That didn't work. <laughs> we'll workshop that uh, during the course of this episode. Um, so my background with Giver 2, colon, Dark Hero is nothing. But I actually have a decent amount of other Giver backgrounds. Um, back in, you know, 
you guys all know, born in 78, grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Um, I actually watched a lot of the Guyver anime. Um, I don't know if there was like one or multiples, if I just like re-rented one or if I watched, you know, mul- I, can't, I can't remember. I haven't revisited the series in a while. Um, but I did like the Guyver animes. I watched them a couple times and I actually had a Guyver vinyl model kit. Um, the dude was like a figure, like him as a figure that you had to put together and paint and everything. And he was a like a good like 12 inches tall. Like he was big. Um, only thing kind of sucked was he was kind of a static pose. He was just sort of standing there with his arms at his sides. But it looked amazing. And I'm sure Robert had the same model or at least knows what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I love the Guyver. I was a big Guyver fan as a kid. Then the first live action movie came out. I was excited to see it. And it was so bad that I never watched it again or this. And uh, I kind of like didn't even go back to Guyver that's how bad that first movie was. So, Guyver 2, colon, Dark Hero, no experience. Guyver Anime, a lot of experience. Guyver 1, eh, maybe one viewing, maybe two. I might have revisited Guyver 1 a second time just to see if it was as bad as I remember, and it was, and then I just purged it all from, from my memory. Yeah, it's really a shame. Uh, let's, I gotta, before I get into my background, I just want to briefly talk about the original Guyver. Yeah. Uh, that came out in 1991. It uh, boasted the cover art of Mark Hamill on su- on one side of the screen, fused with the Guyver on the other screen. On the other side of the screen, which would give you the impression that Mark Hamill is the in fact Guyver, which he is in fact not. Uh, it was played by another actor named Jack Armstrong, uh, Sean Barker, aka Guyver. Jack Armstrong is not the Guyver or Sean Barker in this, and we'll get to who it is in just a moment because it's very notable. Uh, But the original Guyver had a pretty amazing cast. Jimmy J.J. Walker was the voice of one of the of the uh, Zoonoids. Uh, Michael Berryman was in it. Mark Hamill, of course. Uh, Say what you will about Mark Hamill. Uh, David Gale. He was, of course, in Reanimator. Yep. Famous Mm -hmm. doctor in that. Um, and Jeffrey Combs was in this as well, and Linnea Quigley. And it's funny because in that movie, Jeffrey Combs' name is Dr. East versus, you know, Dr. West and Reanimator, so they knew what they were doing there. They did, and Screaming Mad George directed it, uh, along with uh, Steve Wang, who directed this one. Uh, Screaming Mad George is a effects guy who's done cr- crazy effects. Um, you know, just look up his resume, and he's... He's a very well-known effects guy. And I think that was why I wanted to see Guyver when it yeah. first came out. And I was stoked about it. And then I saw it. And I had the same feeling you did. I was utterly disappointed. Um, and then my background, similar to Corey's. I watched the anime back in the day, uh, which was pretty intense, I remember, as a kid. It was super violent, dude. Because he would, he would slice them with his arm thing, like down the middle, sometimes Voltron style. And it was always bloody and, and like, we're talking like geysers of blood coming out of them. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember renting that with my buddy Jamal at Ultimate Video back in the day. And then Guyver Dark Hero came out. It was not called Di- it was not called Guyver 2. Uh, I think that was tagged on later just to sell it for know, the DVD. It's a sequel, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I remember watching it back then and not really thinking much of it. Had no idea we were going to be 
breaking it down scene by scene now, <laughs> which is crazy uh, all these years later. Uh, and we'll get when we talk about the cast and crew, we'll talk about uh, one specific person that I have a really cool connection with, actually. Um, but I also wanted to say, uh, as we're kind of talking about what works, what doesn't, as far as like the original and the animes were very cool. And then this one uh, and not having too many feelings about it back then. I'm watching this one and I'm going Blue Beetle owes so much to Guyver and I was kind of tripping about it because I it's very similar creature goes inside this kid's body he basically becomes whatever he thinks it becomes like there's elements that are so similar to Blue Beetle and that's that's not a bad thing I'm like ah there's a little Guyver influence on this bad boy. No, I think you're actually pretty accurate. Uh, And I don't think we should, you know, uh, undermine the fact that the Guyver was pretty influential back in the day. This movie specifically, I think, has a stronger cult following than the first one. But I think in general, uh, the Guyver has a very strong cult following. And knowing the, the, I mean, the humor in in, uh, Blue Beetle was very like nostalgic, like 90s centric. And, you know, Guyver 1 came out in 91. This came out in 94. So I wouldn't be surprised if the the writer and the director of Blue Beetle like had some idea. But at the same time, I get it because in the comics, that Blue Beetle is that way also in the comics. So I think you have to sort of still go back to the comics uh, version. But that all still, this version of Blue Beetle is is still post-Guyver. So I do agree that there is... I wouldn't be surprised that there was like some kind of influence there. If you talk to the, the creatives about it. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. Um, and I want to just get the elephant in the room out of the way. This movie is over two hours long. Uh, Corey and I ahead of time, were like, this movie is probably 30 minutes longer than it needs to be. Uh, there are scenes in this film and we kind of won't go on about that in the breakdown, but there's scenes in this film that go on way too long and that's, I think that's worth noting. Yeah, I, I like getting the sort of the negatives out of the way here. And, and we're going to balance it out by giving our what we really like about it as well. But let's, like you said, let's get the negatives out of the way first. So we don't kind of have to keep harping on them and everything. Um, I know that you guys all know that we love our movies to be at 90 minutes. You know, we talk about it a lot. Now, I think we both agreed that Excalibur could have been longer like we actually needed some more information and and you know that would have been okay but here like zach said it's it's a two hour and three minute movie guys and gals this does not need to be that long no movie of this ilk needs to be two hours long um and i was telling my wife i wouldn't necessarily cut any scene but every scene could have like a minute trim from it i will give you an example Spoiler alert, halfway through the movie, they uncover the ship in the cave, right? And as the music swells and and everyone gets excited, the camera dollies in on our main character, you know, Sean, who plays the Giver, or who is the Giver. And yeah, okay, of course, yeah, he gets his heroic moment, he's smiling. The the, his love interest, the daughter of the, the doctor, archaeologist, the camera dollies in on her, she's smiling, got it. Then for another minute, the camera dollies in on four more people that progressively you don't care about. And ultimately, that scene now realistically becomes three minutes when it could have been 25 to 30 seconds. And that is this movie's biggest fault. Because at two hours, 
we get action scenes that are spread apart by like like 20 minutes in 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 span and time and it makes the move the pacing is just terrible so i'm with zach like (laughs) it has to be called out this movie is a hour and 25 minute movie at best and it's been padded out to two hours and three minutes and that to me is egregious Okay, everybody, thank you so much for watching, <laughs> listening to Podcasting After Dark. Thank you, Robert. And, and Rob, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't want to come in hot on this, but it is what it is, and I, I love good pacing, and this movie is an example of it needs an editor that can trim it down and knows what to cut out because a good editor doesn't always spend every like second with the director going through everything. Actually, a really good editor well, a lot of times edit the movie on their own. And this is like, so movies almost have like three visions. They have the writer's vision, they have the director's vision, and they have the editor's vision. This editor here had no vision. And he just put everything in that the director told him to put in. And um, as Queen and, says, we just need one vision. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then on top of it, I think the other, probably a little, to the lesser extent, is that this movie isn't rated R enough like, it, it, they didn't go fully hardcore into it. Like, there's a couple scenes, and there's going to be one scene that I'm going to really call out. Every move is awesome. Like, when he fights this one Zoonoid, and he fucking crushes his head. It's great. I love it. But, like, that's the most violent one that there is. And I wanted every single Zoonoid death to be uber violent. But if it's not, then make this thing PG. It's, it's like, the weakest rated R that I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. And that being said... When we do this breakdown, which we will start eventually, 20 minutes, 30 minutes down the road, um, we will call out all the things we love. And, of course, you guys know uh, all the things we don't love, we will call out as well that don't work, including uh, yelling out for Corey twice (laughs) when he should have just said it once. But that's a whole other story. We'll get to that later. But before we get to all of that... Let's talk about the cast and crew because there are some very cool, like fun facts to bring up for this cast and crew. First off, Steve Wang is the director. He also wrote the story along with Nathan Long. I'll just say quickly, Nathan Long is a screenwriter. Uh, he, you know, he's done like a lot of video games, uh, which is cool. Uh, he also worked on L.A. Heat, which was a TV series from '97 to '99. Oh yeah, I remember uh, that one. Yeah, so, you know, some some cool, fun stuff. But Steve Wang, he directed a movie called Drive with Mark Dacascos and Kadeem Hardison, which, and Brittany Murphy, rest in peace. Uh, I actually like that movie. I think it's a pretty cool uh, 90s action movie. It's got great fight scenes in it. And I think MVD Rewind just put out a Blu-ray this year of it, earlier this year, late last year or something. They did. They did. So um, that's worth picking up if you guys are fans of Mark Dacascos, martial art movies, yeah. 90s action movies. It's like a buddy movie as well. Kadeem Hardison's good, uh, but Mark Dacascos really stands out. Love that dude. Yeah. Yeah, no, me too. I think he's awesome. Um, I, I think it's interesting. He's he's done, uh, Steve Wang does a lot of like special effects, art department stuff. He actually worked on that that Aquaman TV show that was like a CW spinoff of, I think, um, it, but it never like, you know, I don't think I'm way to pass the pilot, but he also worked on lady in the water and underworld and stuff like that. Like he's, he's constantly working, but you can tell. And again, it, even with our, our negatives aside, you can tell that he loves the Giver though. Like you can tell that he loves this story. He loves this world. And this, I got to say this movie is his magnum opus. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. And everybody working in this film is working their butt off talent-wise. It's very clear. Most of the actors in this, you know, have either had not done much prior to this or have not done much since this. Um, And but but everybody is capable. And I really kind of enjoy like some of the side characters. I think they do a pretty decent job like it at in many ways, this is a movie you would find on Sci-Fi Channel. And, yeah. and that's not a knock. It's just like a movie that you would find on Sci-Fi at 1 p.m. on a Saturday. And you're like, what is this? I'm going to sit down and watch this. Oh, this is cool. Take a nap. Wake up. Still on. Oh, it's, this is cool. Fall asleep again because, you know, it's such a long movie. And, oh, it's still on? Okay, cool. Oh, there's a cool fight scene. All right, cool. Oh, yeah. there's some, you know, beautiful leading actors. That's cool. All right, keep going. So I, I want to call out um, Brian Wade, I believe, is the one that did the uh, the monsters in this. Um, and if so, he also worked on Army of the Dead, uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which I think was actually very cool. Um, but he also worked on the key effects creatures, and then he says key creatures in Stranger Things Season 4. And that makes sense to me because let's counterbalance the negative stuff that I was just saying a few minutes ago about the, the extra 30 minutes of this. The monsters are fantastic. Especially, so good. Especially the main bad one, um, Kane, because his mouth moves. Oh, Crane. His, Crane. His, huh? Crane. Crane. Yep, you're right. Sorry. Crane. Um, when he's in creature mode, Dude, his face is so expressive. His mouth moves to the point where I'm like, like, was this made in 2023? Like, it's so good. Now, some of the other ones are, you go, okay, it's a suit. But the ones that count, the Giver, Crane, and, like, maybe one or two other ones, unbelievable for 1994 yeah. low-budget film. Yeah, I totally agree. And it just popped in my head as well. I'm sure Steve – our. I'm sure our buddy Stephen Kostansky was influenced by this movie when he made Psycho Gorman because this has lots of shades or lots of homages in Psycho Gorman. If you guys haven't seen that movie, then you're probably not listening to this podcast because we talk about that movie all the time and we love it. Uh, great practical effects just like this one did. Yeah, and I mean, we interviewed Stephen Kostansky so long ago that if we interviewed him post Guyver 2... I mean, I would just straight up ask him, like, how much were you influenced by Guyver and Guyver 2? And knowing his body of work, I guarantee you he was influenced by it. Because even in this movie, when there's, like, we see, like, the the flashback to, like, prehistory and it's, like, all miniatures and everything, yeah. I was getting total Psycho Gorman vibes. Big time. Big time. I, I, I think it's pretty obvious. Um you know, oftentimes in movies that have a guy in a suit, you're like, I'd rather see more of the guy in the suit than the guy outside of the suit. But this is, I would say, not the case. I think it's pretty balanced. I think the the lead actor is really good in this. And turns out he's kind of a big deal outside of this movie. David can, Hayter can I, plays Sean Barker. Who is David Hayter, Corey? Look at you're chopping to the bit. You're like, I, get, I, get, go, go, cause, go. Because I did. Guyver, 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 Guyver. Because I didn't. <laughs> I didn't look up IMDb, you know, beforehand on my first time watch. And I, I feel like I knew this knowledge at one point, but forgot it. And I'm watching the movie and I'm like, that motherfucker looks familiar. I was like, that motherfucker's David Hayter. And I, and I just go to verify it. I'm like, okay, it is. And guys and gals, David Hayter, he wrote the first two X-Men movies, um, X-Men and X2. 
And he also wrote the the Watchmen screenplay and whatnot. So he's a very accomplished writer. But me and so many video game nerds who grew up on the PlayStation 1, the PlayStation 2, the PlayStation 3, I'm a Sony fanboy, David Hayter is the voice of Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid. Fucking, and you never, ever hear it in this movie at all. Like, he never does his Solid Snake voice, even in Guyver form. So it's like, I, I, I almost respect him more that it's not just his voice, you know? Like, it, he's actually doing a voice when he's doing Solid Snake. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I had no idea who it was. So when you, yeah. when you you know, text me that, I was like, well, cool. And uh, fun fact, part two or three, or how many fun facts we're going to share in the next few moments. I never played that game. So uh, there you go. Yeah, no, I, I get it, buddy. And do, but do you remember the NES game that came out? The oh, Metal Gear I game? totally do. I remember. I'm like, oh, that looks like Hicks a little bit, you know, at times. It did. The cover artist actually used Michael Bean as a reference. I know exactly. You you remember the ad and the comic books and the back of the comics and everything. I sure did. Um, but yeah, so Metal Gear Solid was an update of that old Nintendo 8-bit series. And then when they updated it, you know, they were able to actually do voice acting and stuff like that. And then David Hayter does like the main guy, Solid Snake's voice. That's and then, awesome. Because Solid Snake is a clone of his father, like he could actually voice him through, even though the game sort of went in reverse and sort of went backwards, he could actually keep voicing it because he was just a clone anyways. Cool. Cool. Yeah. cool. <laughs> You're like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of awesome, <laughs> um, Kathy Christofferson plays Corey. And uh, Kathy has been in quite a few movies. Uh, and television series post this. Um, notably, she was on Cayman Rider for uh, several seasons. Actually, she was in uh, 22 episodes of Cayman Rider, but she's been in a lot of television shows like Dexter, Californication, um, Lucifer. You know, she's in, she's working all the time. Uh, but here's my little fun fact about her. So I, we have a thing here in where I, we have a thing where I live where you, uh, you can post something on Facebook. It's called like ask, borrow, give or something. And you, and people can say, Oh, I want that, you know, versus like throwing it away or giving it to goodwill. And I posted some things up on there and, uh, she, it turns out Kathy claimed it. So she came to the house to pick up the, the stuff I was giving away. And she and I were talking about, uh, you know, what we were, respectively do and she's like oh i'm an actor and i said oh i i'm a voice actor i also uh you know run a few podcasts and she's like oh what are they called and i told her and she's like oh i was in a movie in the 90s oh my gosh called the guyver and i'm like oh yeah yeah i'm really she's like yeah it was it was it was a crazy movie and i said oh maybe i should have you on the show sometime and this was before robert even picked this movie and then when he picked the movie i reached out to kathy she said i'd love to be on the show so look for a future interview with uh <laughs> kathy christopherson who plays Corey in the film the second the the lead yeah. the opposite of uh sean barker aka guyver yeah and you know not because we may interview her at some point she may listen to this I really liked her in this movie. Yeah, she's I good. thought, yeah, I thought she did a great job, just like David Hayter. I thought did a great job. Um, both of these, both of our leads, are strong. I think any fault in this movie lies, sadly, in the directing and the editing. Um, but right. our lead actors are very strong. I totally agree. Um, someone, and I'm gonna jump 
over a couple people who don't have IMDb photos because you know how we feel about that. It's like, come on, guys. You know, if, if you're not deceased, you're alive. Put your put a picture up of something you did on IMDb. Yeah, spoiler alert, 80% of this cast doesn't have pictures, and they also, the ones that don't have pictures, have like one or two roles under their belts. Yeah, so we will kind of go over those quickly, uh, but Christopher Michael plays Atkins. You, I referenced him in the intro to the show as well. Uh, I thought he Another was really good. Another guy I liked on this. Yeah, yeah, and he's been in a bunch of things from New Jack City to Cable Guy to Fool's Rush In, starring the late Matthew Perry. Yeah, no, he's he's still working up to 2023, like he's still coming out with stuff now. And I thought he was fine, like really good. I really enjoyed him in this. I agree. I wish, you know, some of the close up shots weren't out of focus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. That was again. And those would be scenes that they just cut out of the movie. Yep. Yeah. If they were out of focus. Uh, Bruno Patrick plays Crane. He doesn't really have any credits, but I thought he did a really nice job in this movie as the evil Crane. Dr. Crane, Professor Crane, blah, 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 Crane. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um, Stuart Weiss plays Marcus. Marcus is the father of Corey. Uh, Marcus Edwards, Dr. Marcus Edwards. He's he's really good. And when and when something happens to him later in the movie, you're kind of shocked at the big reveal. Yeah. Uh, But he's been in a bunch of things as well. Not not a whole lot of things, but, you know, he's another capable actor who does a really good job. Mm hmm. Yeah. And. Then uh, Wes Dietrich plays Volker, one of the few people who actually has a photo on IMDb. Yeah. Um, he plays one of the main security guards who works for Crane. He's also uh, been in a f- quite a few things. Good actor. plays is a good menacing scumbag in this. Wes Dietrich. He's also one of those people that actually looks better older than he did when he was younger. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I that's, totally agree. That's such a weird thing, especially when you're younger. You're like, well, I hope I look better when I'm older. <laughs> well, my mom used to say that to me. She goes, you're going to be so handsome when you get older. I'm like, what about now, mom? <laughs> what about you're gonna, now? <laughs> you're going to be so handsome when you get older. Well, what, what about now? And she walks away. You're so, going to be so, so handsome. handsome one day. What one day you'll be so handsome. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, you know, uh, I don't know. Is there anybody else that you want to point out? How about Bob? (laughs) No, not really, to be honest with you. Um, I I want to call out the the cinematographer because, I don't know, man. You do? No, I I want to call him out because he fucking sucked. Michael G. (laughs) Wojewowski. He was also the cinematographer of of Drive and that movie Legion. Um, Remember the the, the, uh, one with uh, Dennis Quaid? And oh really? Yeah, yeah. Which he did a competent job in that. It's just, it's just, dude. You saw it as well as I did. So many shots in this movie at, that take place at night. Like they'll try to do something where the the focus walks behind the character, and then it's supposed to rack focus to the person in the front, and then it doesn't. And then we're left with like forty five seconds of the actor looking around or trying to look, you know, concerned or something. But they're out of focus the entire fucking time. And it's not something that happens once. It's not something that happens twice. It is something that happens constantly in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's sad but true. Uh, <laughs> he also did, uh, edited or uh, cinematograph, cinematograph shot, he also shot, shot. Uh, a movie called My Own Worst Enemy. You remember that song <laughs> yeah, by do. Lit? I Please do. tell me. Oh, the, ni- the 90s. Tell me. 
MacGyver 2, Dark Hero. Please tell me what... That song should have been playing in the trailer. My own worst enemy. It could have. Uh, and, and I also want to point out the fact that this is not, even though it's supposed to take place in Utah, I'm looking at it the whole time going, I recognize those trails. I think I've been on those trails. <laughs> it's in An- uh, Angeles National Forest, yeah. not too far from where I and Corey used to live. So, um, hey, whatever. It's all good. 90% of this movie takes place in the same location. It's pretty impressive that they stretched it out to two hours and three minutes. This breakdown may not be as long as the movie for the first time. I got to call out one more person. Les E. Claypool the third. Um, as I was watching this for the first time, I guess I didn't notice the third, but I'm also not a huge Primus fan. So I maybe, I was like, oh, maybe Les Claypool's name is Les Claypool the third. So, very first time I watched this movie, I labored under the assumption that this was scored by Les Claypool of Primus. I was ready for a rockin' score. And I'm sorry, Rob, but throughout the course of this film, Les Claypool the third has Giver. <laughs> Rob's like, just get to the Giver. Has one kind of score, one theme for the entire movie, and it never ends. So one of the one of the things that makes and it stays the same tempo it never changes and it's noticeable in the 15 minute climax fight between where multiple things happen like there's lots of highs and lows in that fight crazy yeah but his tempo the music never changes it just it's like he all he did was go and then they looped it they looped it forever because it never changes it never does anything so less e claypool the third he's also he's a he was a dialogue editor on a resident evil anime cartoon um he was like a dialogue editor on perfect blue which was another anime uh he's a dialogue editor editor on a lot of cartoons and anime stuff and um he should never be put in charge of a musical score ever again i bet i bet steven steve wang was like oh we got les claypool guys we got we got the guy you know daryl was a race car driver so drove so goddamn fast never did get no checker flag never did come in last you know that bass guy that people in high school used to freak out about yeah and they listen to king missile and they listen to you know uh ween well we love ween but and i love primus actually too and i, I love don't. king missile but, i don't like primus i'm not a well, fan shout out to lee germany really quick because he's probably going yeah i love all that shit too um I'm sure Steve was like, yeah, we got Les Claypool. And then they're like, you're not Les Claypool. How much of a budget do we have, guys? We have that much? Uh, look, Les, we, 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 we can give you McDonald's gift cards as payment. And Les goes, oh, I'll take that. Sure. <laughs> and I'll deliver this one 10-second audio clip, and you can just loop it at nausea. I, I believe he. I believe he said... I knew the minute I put this bracelet on, I'd be the I'd be the composer of this movie. I, Hail to the chief! <laughs> la da da da. I you knew said when my name was was Les Claypool, I'd get this job here. Yeah. <laughs> I, when you said looped it, I'm like, oh, it's like that song "Pop Goes the Weasel" by Third Base because they're they're making fun of Vanilla Ice. They're like, you took a song, you you yeah. took a song, and you looped it, you looped it. Pop yeah. goes the weasel, the weasel. I love Third Base, by the way. Way better than this score. 
Oh, Rob, that's it. We're not. We put it all on the table. It's all out there. All the problems I have with this movie. So let's have some fun. Let's enjoy some giant rubber suit monster action because that freaking rocks in this movie. And let's do it. Gamer. There is a line between good. Let the man go. Yeah, right. And darkness. Don't kill me. Sean Barker. Has crossed that line. He's been drawn here by a power. Everybody here knows what we're digging for. By a force. See it in my dreams, and I put it down on paper. He doesn't understand. Who are you? The Guyver, he's here. I know you got claws you ain't showing. I'm not the one with the claws. I've been here in another hour, or shall I send someone with more experience? So really quickly, uh, this is a New Line movie. This was released by New Line Cinema. So you get the beautiful New Line, you know, that New Line intro, which I miss so much. Dude, God, I love love it so much. It just, it brings me all the... All the member berries come flooding back. I love it so much. You remember you remember when uh, title cards used to just be one title card of a production company? Now there's like eight title yeah. cards for production companies, and they don't make any noises. Yeah. Or what was it? Um, <laughs> remember when we saw Dread 3D in the theater? And there was one title card in that that was like off-centered. It was just like the worst title card I've ever seen. But yeah, uh, yeah of whatever company. Clearly, they didn't care about that company at all. But yeah. yeah Anyways, right. New Line Cinemas fucking love it right here. Get, got me in the mood, baby. Me too. Me too. And you get the first shot you see is of the Giver unit. And you hear a narration of Sean Barker saying the Giver unit. His narration over this flashing Giver unit says, it's been a year since the alien armor invaded my body and became a part of me. A year since I first became the Giver and destroyed the Kronos Corporation and their shape-changing killers, the Zoonoids. Now Kronos is gone, but the Giver stays in me, calling me to fight. To kill. Suddenly you get a quick shot of Sean's face, kind of in the reflection of the Giver, center of the Giver unit, which looks like a 
Benoit ball. It's like a little ball. Yeah. And, and then you get a cityscape shot uh, with lightning crashing. And then the hero, Guyver, in his suit comes into view. Cut to a bunch of Goomba gangsters beating the crap out of a security guard in a warehouse. I think they kill the guy, actually. Yeah, and by accident, he, I think. Right, yeah, I think it was an accident. And the other security guard kind of looks on. Main Goomba, whose name is DC, tells his crew to open up the crates. Turns out they're all a bunch of dolls, as the security guard says, dolls. DC goes, the latest technology. You mix cocaine with plastic, you can shape it into anything you like. Melt it back down, it's 100% pure. (laughs) I don't think it would be 100% pure. Like, wouldn't plastic still be in it? I think this has been done before actually for reels by like Mexican cartels, at least in that show Narcos, I think they were doing something like that. Or I've seen a show, another show where it's been done before. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And who knows? Maybe uh, plastic is better for you than fentanyl anyways. Sure. And bath salts, I guess too. Yeah. So by the way, my, my impression of DC is 100% 100 better than the actual actor in the movie. Oh, Oh, Suddenly, the good, he, the, the good thing is he won't be around for very long. Oh, oh! So suddenly, uh, they hear a loud sound. DC's like, "What the fuck was that?" He tells his crew to go. He tells Benny to go check it out. <laughs> I love how these. I mean, no one will survive this. This is like the the prequel. This is like just the the cold open. No one's gonna survive it. But we have names. They gave yeah, us we ha- names. We haven't gotten any title cards. Nothing yet. No, we're getting to know all these people, right? At this point, DC wants everybody to pack up and get the hell out of there. He yells over to Benny, we're getting out of here, we're rolling. Suddenly you hear a banging sound. He calls for Benny again. All of a sudden you hear a loud, ah! Crew looks on for Benny. You get you see Benny getting thrown off the top of a railing in a warehouse. Crew looks up and says, holy shit! <laughs> like Looking to see what it could be. Suddenly you see the machinery in the warehouse humming and moving. And through the smoke comes the Giver. Looking badass, guys. Looking, It looks a really cool shot. Yeah, yeah it looks really good. And, you know, th- this whole thing is kind of, I mean, the way the movie is lit and shot, it, it feels like a TV show from the 90s. Uh, it feels like something like Earth 2, you know, or something like that. Um, but this set looks awesome. Um, and I think just inherently, you know, factories look cool because you can light them interesting there's a lot of shadows and stuff and everything's kind of blue but the guyver right here looks fucking awesome coming out of the out of the darkness walking through the the steam and the pipes and everything out on the streets looking real neat reminds me of a ozzy osbourne song (laughs) or or if it was ozzy osbourne going go go gather rangers wow if it was paul stanley Come yeah. on, Gaiva, sing, sing, Gaiva. Sing it for me, Gaiva. Come on, Gaiva. <laughs> well, Gaiva comes out, tells him to get away from the security guard. DC's like, "Hey, fuck this guy!" Basically, uh, he tells the he tells his crew to take out the Gaiva, and one by one, Gaiva's beating the crap out of every single one of the Goomba crew. Yeah, it's it's cool because he like one guy he kind of kicks his leg and breaks it you can tell like and and you know and but he's mostly just throwing guys around but the stunt work is good it's just 
at this point, I'm still trying to figure out, like, is this rated R? Is this PG-13? Like, what what is this? But, you know, not worrying about that, I would say that overall, this is a fun cold open. Yeah. And, it's, it, and especially, you know, I know you're going to wrap it up in a second, but I'll just say it now. It gives, it gives me shades of one of my favorite scenes in one of my favorite movies, which is Batman Begins, when he is the first time he's Batman and he's taking on Falcone and in and, and, and the docks. And I love that scene because it's shot from the point of view of the goons. And, and it's shot like a horror movie with the Batman kind of shooting around and, and everything. And, and it's supposed to be scary. And I thought that was neat. And here, I feel like maybe even Nolan was sort of like kind of going with that here. This is cool because this is kind of shot like a horror movie. Where, where the Giver is the monster, even though he is the hero. And I think that's really cool. Again, I wish they maybe would have leaned a little bit more into it. But at the same time, I think you could have done an entire Batman movie, like from the point of view of a bad guy, and have it be scary. But, you know, Nolan didn't go that way with Batman Begins. He just gave us, like, a little bit of it. And Wang didn't go that way with, with Giver 2. But I appreciate it that it's in here, and it gives it this dark... And I think where Dark Hero comes from is this scene right here. Giver. Giver. <laughs> that's just... That's now how you were just going to say, you know, yes, I agree. It's just going to be Giver. And if you don't agree, you're going to be like, mm, Giver? Giver? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so at this point... Uh, Guyver takes out the whole crew except for DC. DC's holding on to the security guard who's still alive. Security guard wrestles with DC, able to get his gun. Try to get DC. Try ugh. security guard tries to get a gun away from DC. DC plugs the security guard a few times. It empties like his whole clip into his gut. Yeah, and and killing him maybe uh, because they allude to him maybe still being alive at the end. But plugs him. Guyver. Quickly comes over to grab DC, throws him against the wall. DC freaks out. He's like, no, please don't kill me. Just arrest me. Eh. And suddenly this Giver takes his arm blade and slashes DC across the throat, killing him instantly. So After cool, that, dude. yeah, it's so cool. Guy falls to the ground and uh, Giver's little Benoit ball in his head, that the little laser. His uh, anal bead. His anal bead shoots his name. He he leaves a calling card on the uh, back wall, the back metal wall that he killed DC on. Yeah. Cops roll up. Guyver is able to jump up onto an upper platform, turning back into Sean. Sean's looking on, kind of concerned and sneaking away. <laughs> you don't get this reference, but I'll do it for everybody else. Sean crawls under a cardboard box and then crawls, sneaks away with the cardboard box on top of him. You could do that as Solid Snake in the uh, Metal Gear games. That's how you hit, because it, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, um, a stealth game. You don't want to like fight people, you know? So one of the things you can do is get like a cardboard box and kind of hide in it, and then they'll kind of like walk past you and shit. That's funny. You can also do that in Sneaky Sasquatch. What's Sneaky Snacks? What's Sneaky? How, how can I not say that? What is Sneaky Sasquatch? It's a fun little mobile game for kids uh, okay. where you're a Sasquatch and you have to elude people by hiding in bushes or hiding behind things and disguising. It's really fun. Kind of like uh, Metal Gear Solid, but not. Exactly like Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, the, the cops roll up and, and they realize that the person who's done all the damage they've seen before and they see the signature on the wall. It says Giver. And then suddenly 
the credits flash to with a really cool font, Guyver Dark Hero, and you roll into the credits, and that's the opening to the movie. And one thing you kind of pick up right away on this opening scene is how mobile uh, the actor, the stuntman inside the Guyver suit is. Like, you can tell that he has a pretty decent range of motion, and even when he's flipping and doing shit, you never see the zipper or anything on the suit. It's It has like a... It has the ability to be shot from, like, all angles, and it looks fantastic from every angle. Guyver. Guyver. <laughs> Guyver? A- after the long, almost seven minutes of credits, uh, Sean wakes up from a nightmare on his couch, and he walks over to his TV, turns on what appears to be, like, a martial art movie, and he goes over to his desk. He starts writing something down in a journal. And then the action on the screen that he's watching is kind of matching the motion on the back of his neck, the two little portal holes where the Giver comes out of, and it's pulsating. Um, And he's looking like he's trying to fight it. And by the way, uh, those two little holes reminded me of my bearded dragon lizard. And you know it's a male because under its tail it has two little dots that signify that it's a male, like Ah. its testicles almost. And I'm like, oh, is is he a bearded dragon? Giver. Guyver. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it's our new version of saying the word fuck. It's all about Guyver. Um, yeah, so he starts uh, fighting, trying to fight this kind of pulsation, and then he's holding a pencil. He snaps the pencil, and it, that segues into a horrific transformation scene of Sean being turned into the Guyver, camera flashing, uh, very like... Uh, Tetsudo, Iron Man, yes. Japanese, uh, you know, uh, neo-punk kind of stuff. Uh, it's very shocking and intense. And camera flashes again, and he wakes up from the nightmare. Dude, that was so cool. And I Giver. felt... I, <laughs> that was so cool, and I really liked that scene with the flashing lights, the horror element of it. Again, I really wish... They leaned more into the horror in this. Um, and yes, I got Shades of Tetsuo the Iron Man as well. That was another movie that, man, that was a big one. And I'm thinking, wasn't that like around 91, 92? Yeah. Early yeah. 90s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will say that, you know, considering how small this budget was, when it was made, knowing what else was coming out around this time, how good it looks how well made it is so far. Um, it rivals some of the things that I've seen John Carpenter do up uh, around this time. And so I'm like, dude, uh, this is as good or better than some of the stuff I've seen Carpenter make. And if you want to know our take on Carpenter in the 90s, go to our Patreon slash Podcasting After Dark for The Carpenter Factor, where we discuss every single one of John Carpenter's movies from the first one all the way up to the newest one that just came out this year. So movies and television shows that he's made. Um, and yeah, I, by, I sorry, I, I, I'm trying to look it up while you were talking. Um, I, I can't find the budget on either Wikipedia or IMDb for this one. Okay, well, we'll have to ask Kathy when we have her on the show uh, if, if she has any uh, idea what the budget might be because I'm assuming it's got to be low budget based on everything that they've done in this movie. It, it but it still be. looks better than some of the Carpenter stuff in the 90s. Yes, yes, it I'm does. I'm not going to lie. 
Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, Anyways. And, and the sets are awesome, too. Once we start, like, actually getting into the spaceship set and the cave set, like, these are all sets, and they're huge. Like, they're actually, like, tall and big, and I'm like, I want wow, the play set impressive. version of these. I yeah, want the right? toy version of these. Yeah, <laughs> That's seriously. what it reminds me of. Um, yeah, so so Sean wakes up from his uh, he wakes up from his nightmare. It's daytime now. He's still on the couch. There's newspaper clippings on the wall of different Giver attacks. He takes a quick look at the newspaper in front of him and says, Verdict still out on armored vigilante. Security guard in critical condition. Not expected to recover. I'm like, you think? They shot, he shot him like eight times with that gun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Guyver, uh, sorry, Sean, a.k.a. Guyver, turns his TV on and Inside Expose uh, pops on. Very similar to like Inside Edition or what was the show... Um, uh, hard copy back yeah. in the day. Yeah, that's what it reminded dude. me of. And she, and, the, the anchor woman, looks like a porn star. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Um, and he's got in front of him at his desk like a binder, uh, like his sketchbook, a binder of drawings that he's done. Inside expose is going in on a story uh, at Three Pines, Utah, where there may have been a werewolf attack. Doug Curlew. And his brother Judd were exploring some caves above the woods where they lived, where Judd was attacked and fatally mauled. Rangers there are calling it a bear attack, but Doug has a different explanation. Suddenly you're introduced to the hillbilly kind of Doug who's who says, yeah, man, I mean, it changed right before my eyes. It, it, it was a man and then it was a thing, a thing with claws and teeth and like like one of those cave paintings I showed you that come to life. And suddenly they show the cave paintings. And I can only describe it as uh, maybe a two or three year old drawing a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, follow, But next to the dinosaur is kind of an egg shaped thing with like uh, things hanging off it. Yeah. And I love how I love how he goes. You people call me a liar. My brother's dead, man. That ain't no lie. And I was like. I was like, I felt that. I was like, he's good. He's actually one of the best actors in the movie, this guy. Yeah, it's so good. It, it Like, Doug is one of the highlights of this movie as well. The guy who plays Doug. <laughs> yes. As the reporter goes on, we went looking for this cave to verify Doug's story, and we found it. But an archaeological expedition investigating the cave was suspiciously uncooperative when we asked to shoot inside. All of these things are important, guys. So the intro to this movie, which is, you know, the narration, maybe 30 seconds, gives you a real great base if you've never seen the Guyver series, if you're unfamiliar with it. This little sound clip from this news show gives you the plot, basically, of where we're going to go for the next, you know, hour and a half or hour 45 minutes at this point. Um, that's a really cool way to, like, speed up story and get you to where you need to go for a payoff i really appreciate that guyver yeah me too guyver <laughs> and we go from one of the the best side actors in the entire movie to one of the worst mitski or whatever her name is yeah mitski mitski uh before we get the mitski though I, I have to point out so the 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 two-year-old drawings that they show on tv sean you know gets kind of excited about it because the 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 little egg thing that he sees on screen is exactly like he has in his notebooks which i guess he gets those images from his dreams yes exactly 
Then he has a quick flashback to what Corey was saying uh, with Mizki, his former girlfriend. Now, you say flashback. I think that this is actually in succession, but it felt like a flashback to me. But I think that this is actually in chronological order but i just i find it funny that you mentioned that because my first viewing i was like oh it feels like a flashback and maybe it's because it has that 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 look that hazy look to it but on my second viewing i was like i think this is actually supposed to be chronological after the scene we're just we were just on i yeah no i think you're right i think it's it, it's kind of speeding up uh yeah it's like flashing forward basically flashing forward for a quick glimpse because where he's because yeah, i don't go think ahead. And I will preface this by saying I haven't seen the first. We didn't watch the first movie, okay? And I haven't seen it since probably 1992. But I believe she was the love interest of the first movie. And I think this is just a way of them um, kind of, you know, getting getting her out of there. And Maybe. I don't know. We're going through the IMDb really quick. And I actually don't see her in the first movie so i could be wrong yeah no she she is vivian oh. Wu miski okay uh, there she is yeah got it okay so i don't know if hold on oh it's just, a different uh, actor it's same character different actor because the the miski uh in in the first movie actually has an imdb picture the miski in this one doesn't this one is uh billy lee um in the first movie it's um sorry i'm going back and forth uh, in the first movie, it's um, Vivian Wu, but I think it, I think this is them wrapping up that love interest character arc from the first movie. This, I mean, this movie does want you to have seen the first one, but it does stand on its own. You don't have to because I don't think I got any less enjoyment out of it by not seeing the first one recently. No, and I don't feel like I need to revisit mark hamill again in that no. time because he also did another movie at that time called slipstream which was not yeah. very good i always uh, liked i liked fuck. how he looked in slipstream with his blonde hair and everything but i never I, saw i it. did too i mean but it was very i felt i haven't seen that in decades but it's i remember it being disappointing yeah but this is a great way to blow off the character it's basically you know they're having an argument where she know she knows that sean is the guyver he's trying to explain that he can he's trying to control it you know it's not him that's doing the killing it's the guyver that's doing the killing she doesn't believe him basically she's in denial he's like look you know there's there was a thing on tv this morning about a werewolf sighting in utah and she's like god i don't want to hear it anymore there are no more zoonoids chronos is gone you got to let it go what's the point of holding on and he, she's like you're getting crazier and crazier and then suddenly he glares at her he's like this isn't going to work, is it? <laughs> and then suddenly cuts to Sean on the road, kind of like the Incredible Hulk or werewolf. And he's getting rides from strangers on his way to Utah. They, their relationship is over at this point. And I like how she's like, you know, you, you got to move on. He still has alien technology inside of him. How do I move on Come when on, I'm Misty. still the Giver? And, and I'm not going to lie, what he ends up, landing on or who he ends up landing with or you know spoiler who he ends up getting into a relationship with she accepts him for who he is isn't that what we all want in life yeah guyver to be accepted all. for who we are yeah if, if we if we collect dvds or we collect toys or we collect can we just be accepted for what we collect <laughs> seriously guyver. sorry guyver. <laughs> sorry sorry for the long i guyver. was i was I, this is a moment of appreciation for for being appreciated for who we are. 
And we appreciate all of you listening to us for who we are, even if you feel like we're trashing this movie, which I don't think we are, actually. We're just giving it its due diligence. We could go harder, guys. We could go so much harder, but we don't and do if, that yeah, here. Exactly. Now, I'll, I'll say, Zach, he's he's riding cross-country, you know, quote-unquote cross-country up to uh, Simi Valley and everything. <laughs> and I love how they're like, you know, there's a sign there that says, like, Utah, Salt Lake Utah, City. Like, the Beehive like, State. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine as they're putting that sign up, the, you know, the production crew, and real cars are driving by, they're like, where are we? What what is happening right now? There, there's a guy. There's a guy in the car, and his kid is like, "Daddy, we didn't. We are not in California. Where's Disneyland?" And the <laughs> wife's like, like, "Oh I my knew. god, I gotta turn around." Before we had Waze and uh, Google Maps, we winged it. <laughs> we, if we didn't did. have a, if unless we had a, you know, Atlas. paper map. Yeah. Yes, which is great uh, wrapping paper now, by the way. Mm-hmm. You can take all those old maps and use them as wrapping paper um, if you haven't thrown them out already. So, anyways, he finally gets a ride to a local diner in Utah. He's made it. That's the man behind the counter where the archaeological dig is. The man says, are you going to buy something? And he says, yes. He buys a little bit of food. And the man says, you know, don't know nothing about that. They cut to a quick shot of a woman watching him listening. She walks over with a big case of beer and asks Sean what he wants with the dig. He says he just needs to see it. She asks him if he's with the press, and he's, and she says it's a private site. He opens up his notepad to show her all the drawings that he's been having that are connected to the site. She kind of blows him off at first, but suddenly she sees drawings that are very familiar with the cave drawings that she's been looking at as well. She looks at him and says, I, I can't help you, and she goes to leave. He follows after. He begs her to take him. She throws her. She throws the food in the back of the truck. Just yeah. like I'm like, yeah. damn. If there are eggs in there, they're not eggs anymore. They're scrambled. Spoiler alert: There's nothing except for bread at the top. Everything else is like styrofoam or something. You can tell by the way she's holding the bag. It has right. like no weight to it whatsoever. But that case of beer looks legit. Yeah, that is legit. Because when she hands it off to the other girl later, like you can tell the case of beer is real. The bag of food is fake. And of course, also. <laughs> Corey, you know, she, she's a beautiful woman, but like a typical 80s slash early 90s movie that they, they tell us that she's a nerd by giving her giant nerd glasses. Oh, and she, she's got those great moments where she takes her glasses off to get serious, you oh, know. It's, very, it's cliche now. It was probably cliche then, but whatever. It, fortunately, she's a good actor. So yeah, it, she's great. It doesn't take away from her performance. But yes, so she goes to take off. He after she throws her stuff in the truck, she refuses to help him. Drives off, and he's like, "I just, I need to know what's there at that dig." Suddenly, she shows back up. She yells at him to get in. Gets in the truck, and they drive off to the archaeological site. She changes her mind. She introduces herself as Corey Edwards or Kareen. Actually, that's what it's short for. Yeah. Yeah, so she doesn't spell it the same way I do. She spells it C-O-R-I. Yes, exactly. <laughs> She's not sleazy C. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she goes down the whole rigmarole. I'm a researcher up at the dig. She's like, and you are? Uh, Sean uh, Barker. And she goes, uh-huh. Like, she doesn't buy his name, right? Yeah. And he goes, look, I didn't mean to freak you out back there. This is just important to me. And he asks, why'd you come back? And she goes, because I'm a scientist, damn it. Guyver. Guyver. <laughs> Anyways, they get to the excavation site. It's pretty vast. Uh, it's a nice campground. 
There's about 10 trucks there, 10 cars there. That's important, by the way, because I'm going to note that at the end of the movie. Also, not enough beer for all the people that are there. No, hell no. That's that's like one little... T- well, they are scientists, right? Yeah. Oh, maybe they don't all oh, drink. No, one beer per person. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> well, can I sip this? Does anyone have a straw? <laughs> it's like Miller Lite or something, you know? <laughs> right. They get out of the truck. Sean's like amazed at what he sees. Corey leads him into the site. She tells him just to be cool and follow her lead. Sean says, I hope I'm not getting you into trouble. She's like, not if you do what I say. She walks by a woman named Mary, gives her the case of beer. Sean gives her the groceries as well, and they walk off. And by the way, I, I'm not sure if this is the actual woman, um, but David Hayter met his wife, uh, his future wife, on this set. And it's not like the main actress lady that we're talking about. Um, so it's one of, I think, the three other women on here. Not the one that becomes a zoonoid, but there's like two or three other like background students, archaeologists. And I think he, one of those uh, became his wife. They met on oh, the set. So that's nice. That's, I mean, cool. that's sweet. It's funny. Yeah. Cause like, you know, we, we, we got movies like when John Carpenter did uh, somebody's watching me and, you know, we were talking about how much, how terrible that movie is. But at the same time, it was big for Carpenter because, you know, he met his wife on that one. So it's, I don't know, man, sometimes movies exist and maybe they don't aren't that important to us, but they're important to the people who worked on them for whatever reason. Yeah, I just found out the uh, you know that movie Monster Squad, the, yeah. the 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 older sister who they can speak German. Yeah, and then they find out she's not a virgin. She was in a movie called Teen Witch mm-hmm. uh, with an actor named Dan Gauthier or Gauthier. Uh, they ended up meeting each other on set, and they've been married ever since. And oh. They opened up an acting studio in. Uh, you know, uh, Palm Desert or something like that. That's great. And I, I think David Hayter's still with his wife, too. That's that's the shit that's great, man. That's the kind of shit that I love hearing. I love that. It's great. Hey, everybody. Co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a second and say thank you to all of our Patreon members who help support the show. Each month, they get access to The Carpenter Factor, Wrap Up After Dark, and all kinds of other fun, exclusive content. You can sign up for our Patreon over at patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. Again, that's patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. Other ways you can help support the show and help us grow is leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We also have a merch store where you can pick up a t-shirt or two, as well as some other fun items. You can find every link to our podcatchers, to our merch store, to Patreon, everything at podcastingafterdark.com. That's podcastingafterdark.com. Now back to the show. From there, they make their way to the cave site yeah, where can, they're... Sorry, can I just say, give because guys and gals, we're going to be here for the rest of the movie. So yeah. essentially, there's two sites next to each other, you know, obviously near each other. There's the campsite, which has multiple tents and everything like that, surrounded by woods. You know, it's like in the woods. It looks like a national park type of thing. And then there's a cave that when they go inside, it's clearly a set, you know, like it was built in like a warehouse because it's really tall. But essentially, these are, and then inside the cave is the ship that we'll get to eventually. These are essentially the three locations that we will be living at for the next hour and like 40 minutes. Guyver. (laughs) Corey uh, walks past, what, two or three security guards that are waiting outside. And she basically says, you know, he's with me about Sean. 
They walk into the cave. As they're going in there, Sean says, do all archaeological expeditions have this much security? Corey says, well, we didn't until your buddy on TV broke in. Yep. Call back to Doug. Yep. One of Corey's coworkers calls her over, and she tells Sean to wait where he's at. Dude, this this coworker, this female, uh, young African American lady, she looked so familiar to me. I but I couldn't figure out who she was on IMDb, and I don't think actually she's done anything else. But I swear to God, I've seen her somewhere before. She looked very familiar, and she doesn't have a name in the movie. A lot of these actors don't have names, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, that, that's why I was waiting. Even with subtitles on, I was like, okay, maybe I'll get her name on the second viewing, and nope, nothing. Yeah, exactly. Corey goes off with her co-worker to look at something, and Sean wanders through the cave. He's looking at various etchings on the wall, similar to the drawings in his notebook. He sees a flash of people taking pictures, and they're taking pictures of the exact same drawings from his notebook. Um, Sean's looking excited, like he's found his home. He's found where he needs to get all the answers to the clues in his back of his neck. His bearded dragon testicle <laughs> neck. <laughs> Testicles. Suddenly, Corey shows up behind him and says, you shouldn't wander off like that. As she's talking to him, an older man walks in with two, old, with two other dudes. The older man is Corey's dad, Marcus Edwards, Dr. Edwards. Arlen Crane who you'll later find out is the main villain of this, and the security guard, Gus Volker, who yeah. is one of the main villains as well. Arlen Crane is saying, if we don't hit Paydirt soon, they're going to shut us down. Marcus says, I'm tired of treating this expedition like an oil well. And Arlen's trying to reason with him and goes, I know, but this is management. We had an agreement. I find you your Paydirt, and we run the show my way. And Arlen says, well, that's what I want. I'm going to keep them away as long as I can. Just do a good job, okay? And Marcus goes, I can't make miracles. And Arlen Crane says, yes, you can. That's why you're here. Corey walks over to interrupt them. And Corey introduces Sean to her dad. Arlen Crane seems like a supportive boss. And Gus Volker, you know, he just seems like a generic security guard at this point. Yeah, he's he's very goonish. Arlen and Gus walk off. Corey takes Sean deeper into the cave, past a beautiful waterfall, and shows Sean the main site where they're digging. She calls up to Bob, who you'll get to know like throughout this whole thing, and to show Sean the ropes. And they walk past a guy who's blurry. The camera's blurry at this point. Yeah, actually, he's blurry most many times when Atkins is in the shot. But you get a look at a yeah, <laughs> you get a concerned look at one of the quote unquote uh, scientists who is Atkins. Sean's watching Bob brushing away dirt on what appears to be bones. Sean whispers the word Lisker because that's one of the like the zoonoids from the last one. Yeah, then like right. I think the I think there's like names for like what style of you know xenomorph. Xenomorph. Oh, shit. What they Zoonoids. 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 There you go. Yeah. I think there's like different names for the different styles that they are. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly. But yeah, I think you kind of can recognize it. And it looks cool. There's like, honestly, the sculpture of the of the bones look neat, you know? Yeah. And I think Bob calls it out like they think it's a, a dinosaur type, but it's too small to be that dinosaur. Yeah. They he, don't really he know why. It, yeah. He thinks it's a pachycephalosaur. Okay. And that 
that's notable because he says, well, we think it's some variety of pachycephalosaur, although it's small for the family. Just note that for a little bit further on in the movie. Uh, by the way, I did talk to text when I was taking notes for this. And Zoonoid, if you say Zoonoid and talk to text, it comes up Zoe Annoyed. <laughs> so just so you know, if I say Zoe Annoyed, it's because I'm reading my talk to text notes. And that's why. <laughs> Anyways, Bob's talking to Sean and he continues to say, you know, we got to carbon date this. Camera fades off. Cut to Sean lying in the back of Corey's truck lying down. Corey approaches and says, wow, looks like you really immersed yourself here. Sean's like, yeah, it was like I was digging up parts of myself. And then Corey's kind of flirting with him at this point. There's a lot of flirting that goes on. And side note, this movie features no nudity or sex. And I think that's worth noting in a rated R film. Uh, And there's a considerable amount of flirting that goes on through this. And I think in a typical, you know, quote unquote, low budget B movie, science fiction movie, this movie would be filled with a lot of quote unquote TNA and you know Steve Wang went on record to say that he thinks that maybe might have hurt the success of the film that it didn't feature that but I think that deserves some props for not caving in and doing what most films at this time did Guyver well you know don't uh, don't give those props out too quickly because apparently all the ladies in this movie had to get into skimpy lingerie and do a photo shoot for Femme Fatale's magazine which I collected back in the day and I would have, you know, I enjoyed, but, um, I believe that even the actress who talks, you know, uh, the actress who plays Corey even talks about like, yeah, it's kind of weird that like they did, they weren't, they told us that they weren't trying to sell the sex in the movie because our characters were strong and, and independent and, and capable. And yet we have to get into lingerie and they were, I think they were kind of like, you know, just, just do it just do it, you know, type of thing um, for promotional aspects of it for the Femme Fatales magazine. So I think that there was a little bit of bad taste in their mouth from that experience. Yeah, but we can talk a, to her more about that if, if she That's understandable. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, kudos to the film not featuring that, but that sucks that they didn't do that, that they caved in that way. Um, caved, no pun intended. <laughs> Anyways, Guyver. Corey... Flirt Guyver. She's flirting with Sean, kind of flirty with Sean. She's saying, you're not some sort of archaeological groupie, are you? Corey says, I just can't figure it out. Why are why is it so important that you're here? Where did you see those drawings? And Sean says, I told you. Corey goes, oh, yeah. She goes, look, I brought you here like you asked. Don't you think I deserve a real explanation? Because Sean's trying to blow her off, right? He starts to try to tell Corey something. He says, look, Corey, I want to, but I can't. I don't really know what I'm looking for. And then Corey at this point annoyed with him says, well, maybe we should just call this today a field trip and I'll drop you off. And she gets upset. And, and Sean says, look, I've got nowhere else to go. And Corey says, that's not good enough. She looks annoyed with him, but then she kind of gets close to his face and looks like they're about to kiss, but they don't. Cut to Doug the hillbilly with a shotgun out in the forest. And he's got like a reporter or photographer with him who says, look, they're not going to find no werewolf here. And Doug says, just hold on to your checkbook. Just hold on to your checkbook, basically. Like, give me a little bit more time. Yeah. Cut to a quick shot of a, quote, werewolf slash monster slash zoonoid slash zoeanoid looking at them <laughs> nearby. Cut back to Sean and Corey walking towards the main site area. And as they're talking, their small talk continues. 
uh, Corey's talking about how she considers herself an outlaw of science. And then she was thinking about getting jackets made up because they have unconventional theories. They look at wild things people would laugh at in tabloids. They look at Bigfoot. They look at crop circles. Sean asks about the cave paintings and what her theory is on that. Corey says she wants to tell him, but she can't. Kind of hearkening back to their earlier conversation. Suddenly you hear, oh, Sean says, touche. Suddenly you hear a big scream and they, and they both are startled by it. Corey thinks it's another bear attack. Sean tells Corey to get help. And he says he'll go take care of the bear. They run off in different directions. And, and Corey like stops she, and she goes, she goes take, take care, care of the bear. Of the bear? Oh, what? shit. <laughs> yeah. Guyver. 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 Hmm. <laughs> Cut back to Doug and the reporter or photographer. Doug's yelling at the reporter to take a picture of the werewolf. That is, in fact, a big old monster slash zoonoid. The photographer tells Doug to shoot at it. Doug just Doug wants to make sure he gets his money. The monster runs towards them. Doug pulls the trigger. You cut back to Sean running towards the melee. Cut back to Corey, who gets to the site. She tells Professor Atkins, Atkins, uh, and oh, her you, dad. You, I know you picked up on that. Yes. His name Atkins. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Marcus. She tells her Atkins and her dad that there's been another bear attack. Atkins says he goes to get it. He'll go get his gun. Corey says, hurry, because Sean's out there. And Atkins says, what? Like annoyed, like confused. Like, why is this guy out there going to fight a bear? Quote unquote. Sean continue cut back to Sean running towards the monster. He yells, Giver. And he transforms into the Giver as the monster approaches Doug and the reporter. This is a little confusing because Doug was kind of in front of the photographer reporter. And then, but then the monster is able to knock the shotgun out of the way and he grabs the photographer. Like he knocks off the photographer's head. Unfortunately, the camera's like so zoomed in, you can barely see what's happening, but he knocks off the top of the head and then he goes after, after Doug knocks the shotgun out of the way because Doug's trying to reload the thing and everything. And he kind of picks Doug up. And I like how Doug pisses himself. Like see the pee come out of his shoes, but I'm like right here. I'm like, Oh, the first time I watched it was so quick with the reporter got his head knocked off. I was like, Oh, Oh, I, maybe I blinked. I must've missed something. I kind of rewound it. And I was like, no, that was it. Like, it's so you don't even see it. You don't see it. And it's, it's a, a payoff that uh, didn't pay off, basically. Yeah, no, no, sadly, sadly. Because at this point now, uh, the Zoonoid kind of throws Doug to the ground and Guyver shows up to battle the Zoonoid. But when he gets over to him, he says, where'd you come? Like, basically, where'd you come from? I destroyed all of you. They have an epic Power Ranger style fight yeah. in their suits. It's bad ass. Yeah, and it's always this fight, every fight, there's also like the guy who's in the Giver suit is like doing like anime moves where he's, you know, jumping up in the air with his what, one leg straight, the other leg up, and his one arm straight, the other arm back. It's I mean, it's like right out of like a frame of the anime. It looks amazing. And this whole fight is is really good. Every Giver slash Zoonoid fight is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. You can see the wires occasionally, but honestly, if anything, I love that shit. I love being able to see the wires occasionally. Like, that's the one thing I wouldn't want to, like, change about this movie. Exactly. Right. I totally agree. 
uh, it, it, throughout this battle, the, the, the Zonoid, you know, rips a tree out of the ground and uses it like it's a battering ram towards Giver, but Giver's able, Giver's able to battle back and kind of fend him off. And then then eventually slices him in the forehead, which will make, which will be important later. Exactly. Or it slices the zoonoid in the forehead because they, because the guys and gals, if you don't know, and I guess this is probably more explained in the first movie, but the zoonoids, it's not this, they transform into the monster once and then they're stuck that way. They can go back and forth at will. Everything is at will. It's never, it's not a werewolf scenario. They can change fully at will. And I always thought that was really cool. I'd like that a lot. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Um, Atkins and Corey show up at the scene and the Zoonoid and Giver kind of go their separate ways. They rush over to Doug to check on him. He freaks out because Sean shows up out of nowhere and Sean's like, don't come near me. You're one of them. Atkins says he's in shock. He tells some random dude that shows up with them to get a blanket. No, get two blankets, he says. As they've already, like, walked through the dead body. Like, they yeah. walk through the crime scene, like, no problem with the dead body right there. Like, like the guy's head is only, like, five feet away from his body. But yet everyone who tramples the crime scene walks through that space. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, they don't even, like, they're so super dismissive. They're like, well, he's already dead, but we need to check on the person that's alive. Yeah. And, you know, Sean's like, I'm sorry I didn't get here sooner. Corey's like, thank God you didn't. You could have been killed. What did you think you were going to do? And Atkins goes, I was wondering that myself. Wink, wink. Kind of has like a camera dolly in on his face while he's kind of looking concerned. Right. Doug gets taken to the truck. Same with the body. Atkins is looking on the ground and sees something that looks like a piece of flesh. I think it's the chunk that he sliced off of his forehead. Yep, and he puts it in his pocket. <laughs> Sean sees him do that, and then they bring the body of the dead photographer back to the main site at the campground as well. And then you cut back to the campsite in just a moment. Yeah, and I got to say, like, and I think it's the director and all of this, because I think these actors are very competent and, and can can do a lot. But a lot of times when the camera's like locked on somebody like Atkins right here. Right. You can just tell everything is like, give me your headshot for, for, for concerned. And then Atkins is, yeah, it does it, you know, it, it's, and then there's later on where like David Hader, it's like, okay, give me your, you know, pensive look. And it's all like the, it's all the looks that acting one oh one sort of teaches you like put your, 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 you know, your fingers on your lip and look off to the left. Like, you know, it's, it's all the, the most generic sort of reaction shots and, in the camera. And, and we're just at this point though, you know, as much as like, I'm like, Oh, that's funny. I'm just happy when any shot of an actor's in focus at this point, like I, I'm like, Hey, his <laughs> Atkins face was in focus. Cause like next scene and like couple scenes, like he's going to be out of focus in like every fucking shot. Yeah. It's really frustrating. Guyver. Guyver. Yeah. when you cut back to the main site they're driving a ranger truck is driving off the dead body and probably doug is in there too it's the last time you see doug you don't see him anymore after this which is a shame because again he was great (laughs) right sean's looking around kind of nervously and glances and sees atkins kind of walking off into the bushes sean asks himself who are you 
He follows him. He overhears Atkins on a, like a CB radio saying that he's identified Sean to whoever he's talking to. And he says, the analysis of the sample that he found should, and he's about to say something else, but then Sean stupidly, who's watching him nearby, snaps a twig that he's, that he's while he's watching him. Atkins it, ends his call. And I do like how when he steps on the twig and snaps it, like I do like how Sean's like, fuck. Like he, he mouths exactly. like, fuck, you know? I like that. Right. Atkins spots him and says, what did you hear? Sean goes, what? Uh, nothing. I didn't hear anything. Atkins says, why'd you follow me? Sean goes, I saw you leave the camp in a hurry. I, I just figured you'd seen the bear again. And Atkins says, we both know there wasn't any bear. And I love how Atkins is no pushover here. Like, he clocks him immediately, and there's no talking out of it, basically, for Sean. Yeah, I, I like this exchange. It's it's a good acting scene because, uh, you know, Atkins says, we both know there wasn't any bear. And Sean goes, we do. <laughs> and Atkins says, spare me the dumb act. I know you got claws you ain't showing. And Sean goes, claws? I'm not the one with claws. Atkins says, I don't know what you people are up to, but innocent people are getting killed, and I can't allow that to happen. Atkins pulls a gun on Sean and says, you won't live long enough to give me away. At that same moment, Crane and Volker are walking towards them in the forest, having a conversation. And Crane says to Volker, what were you doing? Volker says, sorry, Mr. Crane. Crane says, tell the others we may have an active, but doesn't say any more than that, and spots Atkins and Sean, says, what are you men doing here? Sean covers for Atkins and says to Mr. Crane, uh, we thought we saw a bear again, Mr. Crane. And Crane goes, what are you doing out here? For God's sake, stay in camp. We don't want any more corpses. And they start to walk off. Atkins tells Sean to wait, but he continues following Crane towards the camp. And then Atkins, who still kind of stays behind, is whispering to himself, what are you doing here? Who are you? That's the end of that scene. Guy Driver. It's a cool moment because, <laughs> because you don't know yet who, like you only know that Crane is the operations manager. Volker is the head of security. You don't know their role in all of this. You're, you won't know it for a little bit longer there's still a good piece of mystery as to their role in this thing it just seems like they're norm having a normal conversation about something that maybe is irrelevant to what's going on but it's not guyver <laughs> yeah and i i mean i like all this stuff i i really really do um i like where it's going it's just in hindsight you know you look back at it now and there's like we have like 30 more minutes between then before we get to the next action scene and yeah. So this has been up until this point, this has been maybe 30 or 40 minutes into the movie. And these scenes go a lot longer than the way that I'm describing them. I'm actually describing them a lot faster than they move in said movie, yeah. which is a detriment to the film because the pacing is very slow. Yeah, it is. That's again, if there's one thing I could change of everything, it would be to just trim this movie down to an hour and a half. And I don't, I truly believe you wouldn't lose a single scene. I think you could just trim a minute or two off of every scene and you would get that 30 minutes down. Exactly. I agree. The next shot is of a man on a TV monitor talking to someone saying, and this man, by the way, is named Mr. Goyu, Go, 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 
O-U-O. <laughs> yeah, and I'm guessing we probably need to watch the first movie to get more of him, but we get it. He He's the, the big bad. He's the company, the head of the company. We understand. He's Ronnie Cox. He's Ronnie yeah. Cox in yeah. uh, in RoboCop. To- Total right? Recall. Oh, yeah, RoboCop and Total Recall, too. And yeah. Total Recall, too. Yeah. Talk about typecasting, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm okay with that kind of typecasting. Yeah, we love Ronnie Cox. Yeah. But yeah. remember he was in uh the the car and he was very much uh different from that typecasting. Oh, and in I mean Ronnie Cox is great. Deliverance yeah. as well, but mm-hmm. but I'm just saying like Paul Verhoeven directed both movies. Paul Verhoeven directed him pretty yeah. much the same way in both movies. And that is my favorite Ronnie Cox is the 80s head of a company, you know, type of yeah. thing. By the way, uh, the the new RoboCop documentary that just came out on Blu-ray, uh, there's a hilarious moment where Peter Weller is in an elevator in his RoboCop suit going up to set, and and the guy with him has Oreos, and Peter Weller in character goes, RoboCop wants Oreos, and the guy's <laughs> like, RoboCop doesn't get Oreos, and, and Weller goes, RoboCop want Oreos now, or something like that, and so he's following him. They, the elevator opens and they're walking onto like a platform and he goes, RoboCop want Oreos now. <laughs> Dude, I have, I have the same bl- Blu-ray, but I haven't started watching it yet. Are you, how many discs or, or how many episodes are you in? Because I know it's a each episode's like an hour and so it's four hours long, essentially. I, I actually haven't gotten to this part of the episode. I just saw a clip of it online. Oh, okay, so okay. <laughs> for, for anyone wondering, it's worth the physical Blu-ray apparently goes for a lot on eBay because it's sold out now. So oh, really? I yep. we just bought it when it came out. I didn't even I pre-ordered it. I just bought it on Amazon when it came out. I didn't know it was sold out. Hey, you know, Guillermo del Toro said it right. Like physical media, we are if you buy physical media, you're basically holding the keys to the castle, ladies and gentlemen. So. I just got my cuffs Blu-ray in the mail. <laughs> yes, you did. Guyver. Guyver. Um, so the guy in the monitor, Goyu, or the evil guy, he's basically talking to someone at the campsite saying, we don't need this kind of attention. If you can't keep a tighter rein on your lieutenants, and the man he's talking to on the other end is whispering, going, I'm sorry, sir, I'll correct my error. You don't know who it is yet because you don't see the cameras not showing you who it is. But the person at the base camp says, but it did bring something to light. The Giver is here. He must be someone in the camp. And Goyu on the TV screen says, Hmm, the hunted comes to the hunter. Find out who he is and bring him here. Quietly. The unknown man whispering says, Don't worry, sir. I can handle it. <laughs> Cut to the inside of the cave and then flashing to Sean, who's now sleeping on a cot in a, in a tent, uh, having a nightmare back and forth between the cave and the two holes on the back of his neck pulsing the bearded dragon testicles. <laughs> and he's having his nightmare, and suddenly something in the cave, while he's having his nightmare, starts to break away in the rocks. His neck continues pulsing faster and faster. Steam rises in the cave. Something breaks out, and a blue light shines behind it, causing Sean to wake up. From there, you cut to Sean standing on top of a rock, looking kind of pensively, thinking... Cut to two. That could have cut that scene. Cut to two interiors. (laughs) Cut to the interior of a cave with a random woman with a hard hat walking over to Bob while he's digging. She looks up at the wall that he's digging at, and she notices that something wasn't there yesterday. She takes a pickaxe and starts carving into the wall. Cut to Corey with another archaeologist, the one she was talking to earlier. 
who's asking if Corey likes Sean. She's like, you can tell me. You like him. Corey says, none of your business. <laughs> Friend says, <laughs> Friend says, I'm just excited for you. That's all. It'd be nice to know that someone's finding a little romance. Corey God, says, I wish we right. knew her friend was, man. She was a smoke show, dude. <laughs> Corey says, all right, he's cute, but nothing's happened. He's a little and starts to motion the cuckoo sign. Sean <laughs> walks up behind her with coffee. She kind of gets embarrassed and they start giggling. <laughs> and Sean says, did I miss something? And she goes, uh, no, Sean, have a seat. And she tells her friend, that'll be all. <laughs> and her friend walks off. I like how Sean's like, did I miss anything, Guyver? <laughs> did I miss anything, Guyver? Uh, coffee, Guyver. Cream, Guyver. <laughs> Every time he says it, it shoots out of his back. But it, like, hangs there and then shoots back in, you know? Right, right, exactly. So uh, he asks Corey, what kind of skeletons are we digging up again? Corey says, well, uh, we're not sure, but we think it's some kind of pachycephalosaur, although it's small for that genus. She literally says exactly what Bob said to him earlier, and Sean says... You know, that's funny. It's almost word for word what Bob had said. What are you guys hiding? They're not dinosaurs at all, are they? Corey looks nervous. She gets close to Sean and says, Look, everybody here knows what we're digging for. Sean says, So why all the sec- so why all the secrecy? Corey says, We just can't go spouting crazy theories to the world until we have the hard evidence to back it up. Dad and I have been putting this puzzle together for years, for five years, just praying it isn't another explainable mystery. If we're wrong again, Sean says, so why not just stick to the safer stuff? Corey says, why don't you go home? (laughs) And she takes off her glasses. This is when she takes her glasses off. She says, I'm not going to let anybody take this away from us. Cut to the random woman with Bob digging away at the rock. Something gets exposed, and she feels it, and she says it feels like skin. Then they tap on it, but it makes a metal sound. Yeah. Bob says, that doesn't sound like leather to me. They call over Dr. Edwards, Corey's dad. He taps on it with his trowel. gets very excited. He says, this is wonderful. Call my daughter. Inform Mr. Crane. Get everyone in here on the double. I think we found it. Boing, Giver. (laughs) Boing, Giver. (laughs) Corey and Sean arrive on the scene. She asks her dad what's going on, and her dad says, I think five years of research finally paid off. Crane shows up, very anxious, asking when they will know for sure. Marcus says, be patient, Arlen. We beat your deadline. Just give us time to do this right. Crane says, but there's been a complication. Something's come up. Marcus says, please, Arlen. (laughs) Basically, like... Chill the fuck out. Chill, motherfucker. Chill. We got, we got here faster than we even thought. Right. And then suddenly now everybody's digging on this site. And this is a kind of a montage scene that goes on again, once again, probably like five or six, seven minutes longer than it needs to. Yep. Here we uh, go. I wrote it down here. I go, montage time, baby. Yeah. And Les Claypool is not playing Primus. Uh, you, the camera pans <laughs> past... God, I'm such an idiot for fucking thinking that that was... But, like, what are the chances that someone else's name would be Les Claypool? Like, what are the chances? He's it's Les Claypool the third, so he's got I, he's got to be related. I looked online, I looked to see if they were related. I couldn't find anything connected to it, but he's got to be. God. Anyways, they're continue <laughs> they continue to dig at this thing, and they realize that it's huge. Um, like my dick. <laughs> Guyver. Bob shows up excited with some 
basically like a, like a blueprints, you know, uh, of the etching of what it's pro- projected to look like. Yeah, I think that's some kind of like seismic graph or something because it's like it's got the wiggly lines but making the whole thing. But yeah, it's basically you find out that it goes to the top of the mountain essentially. Like it, the ship is huge. Whatever or you'll know that it's a ship later, but right now whatever it is is huge. Like my Giver. <laughs> like my Giver. Giver. While they're looking at the picture Crane says, you know, these the cave paintings are accurate representations. Edwards speculates that this thing sinks down another 40 meters, just basically saying it's huge. And then Sean whispers, it's a ship. Camera pans away to reveal a giant alien-looking ship that they've etched away. with. Uh, they have scaffolding set up all around it to dig at it. And is this the like the shot where like the reveal happens and everything? Is that this right now? Giver. Giver. Okay. So yeah, so this is the scene where like, yeah, and, and actually the music is actually good in this scene because it kind of builds up to this heroics, you know, crescendo type of thing. But this is the shot where, yeah, everyone's standing there looking at this thing and that dollies in and it dollies in on Sean. You're like, great. Dollies in on Corey. She's happy. Great. And I'll, I'll give you Marcus. But then it also dollies in on Bob, Atkins, Crane, uh, random guy number one, random lady number two, random person. I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating a smidge right there. But like, seriously, it's it's like four people more than should be done. And I was looking on IMDb and, and Wang is is credited as one of the the editors. And it's like, yeah, dude, you needed to spend some money on it on a proper editor for this movie and you needed to stay out of the fucking editing bay and let somebody trim this thing down to fucking an hour and a half like we said um and one of the things like would be these shots i i, I mean i could already see it. i know you could see it too dude you're like why are we dollying in on every single person here and it's not even as a group then do it as a group you know what i mean but no everyone gets their own individual dolly and then I'm just like, no, man, fucking I don't care about half these people. So cut them fucking cut yeah. them. Yeah, I, I agree that, you know, if they just did a wide shot of everybody looking on in amazement and then cut to Sean putting his hand on Corey's shoulder because yeah. that's relevant because he puts his hand on Corey's shoulder, signifying that their relationship's getting a little bit closer. Yeah. Uh, and that he cares about her. And, and right? boom, and that, that's what you get. That's one shot right there or two at the most. But right. boom, you cut out realistically. 45 to 60 seconds of the movie by cutting out all those other shots because what what happens next is even more relevant i think overall and it's it's in the dialogue and that's important it's it's in the dialogue and and instead of this shot that goes on way too long you fade into a celebration party at camp they're having fun with that 12 pack of miller light (laughs) hey guys this is delicious (laughs) Who wants, who wants to do some beer shots? <laughs> uh, can we do some water shots? Or... Okay. Uh, so <laughs> Fucking nerds. Nerds. <laughs> nerds. Corey's looking at samples under a microscope. I am? <laughs> yes. Guyver. <laughs> and she, ta- she, took a, she, ta- she takes a look at whatever she's, whatever she's looking at under the microscope. She bites her lip. And she turns around and grabs her jacket and goes to the party. She's curious about something. She finds Bob and asks if, she, if he's seen Sean. And he says, not lately. 
Not lately. Cut to Sean inside the cave looking at the ship, and Corey walks up behind him, asks him if he's okay. Corey says, I still can't believe it. Corey says, we came here to find anything that would suggest ancient alien visitation. We would have settled for alien beer cans. Instead, we got five years of getting laughed at, our research ignored by our colleagues. But the best part, I now have the greatest playground a girl could ever wish for. Look at this, and it's the sample that she was looking at earlier. It's organic. It was grown. It's alive, Sean. This thing must have been powered by photosynthesis. Okay, that's all a theory, but with funding we can find out. We might even be able to duplicate it. Imagine being able to grow a machine. No more dirty factories. No more pollution. Sean's looking at her and smiling. She goes, what? What? He goes, nothing. I can see why they call you an outlaw. You haven't even stepped inside and you're already saving the world. What can I say? I'm an optimist. And Sean says, wish I could see the world like that. And suddenly it looked like they're going to make out. And she's like, um, we're missing the party. Sean goes, I'm not missing anything. She goes, come on, let's go. Guyver. <laughs> I wish that whenever he said you're an outlaw, I'd kick it. I'm an outlaw. <laughs> I'm an outlaw. And then I'll go, I'm a cowboy, baby. <laughs> I used to be cool when I wasn't political. Oh, Kid Rock. Fuck Talking you. about Kid Fuck Rock, you, you now, suck Kid Rock yeah, now. Man, yeah. used to be so cool back in the day. Back in the day, I was like, this dude's cool, man. Yeah. He's like blue collar. Now he's a fucking asshole. Screw now he's a fucking asshole because the culture wars have destroyed us. Um, Yeah, dude, like... I like all of this concepts and, and ideas that they're playing with here. This is like some ancient alien shit, which I love that kind of shit. And, you know, I, I just I love everything that's happening here. I just I wish it didn't. T I wish we weren't at like the hour mark of a two hour film at this point. You know, it's like, come on. But what we're given right now, I think it's fucking cool. And I'm 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 on board. I mean, I'm on board the entire movie, even with my gripes. I I will say this. The movie never fully loses me, even with like the gripes that I have. I'm on board with it the entire fucking time. I agree. Me too. Me too. And me too. So at this point, they're starting to walk back to the party. But then Sean hears a hissing sound. Ask Corey if she heard that. She says no. No, I'm listening to Podcasting After Dark with Zach and the other Corey. Um, cut back to a party, and two dudes are have a drunk Volker in between them. Yes, so he's they're carrying him out. And I know you got this fucking reference, because as they're leaving sort of the party, and it's it's clearly just a throwaway reference, the, a drunken Volker's looking at the two guards, and he goes, you want to see something really scary? And that is... Yep. Totally an homage or reference to the Dan Aykroyd scene in Twilight Zone, the movie. When oh, he's with um, what's his name? Um, Bob Einstein's brother. Um, what's his um, name? Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks. Yeah, Albert Brooks is driving the car. Dan Aykroyd is in the passenger seat. So he wants to see something really scary, and then he turns around. And he's like this ghoul thing. It's a very famous scene, and Volker is is they're definitely homaging it right here. That scene terrified me as a kid. I can't yes. believe I saw that as a kid. Mom, that, shame on you. That that scene terrified me as a kid, but now as an adult, the Vic Morrow death scene terrifies me. Yes. Mom, shame on you. Go watch on Shudder, guys and gals. There's a great uh, series. I think there was only two seasons called uh, Cursed Films. And every episode, they will talk about a different, you know, quote-unquote, cursed film. 
obviously one of the ones they talk about is poltergeist because you know the older sister you know dies and then the young girl dies in part three and everything but yeah so but they ended it with the twilight zone vic morrow thing and my god they showed it i didn't expect them to actually show the clip of vic morrow carrying the kids and everything and my my wife never myra watched it with me but she never had heard of it i had always heard of it and i i'd known about it but watching it it's gut-wrenching it's 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 horrifying guyver guyver <laughs> sorry guys anyways you're gonna be so handsome when you get older <laughs> oh when you grow up you're gonna be so handsome what about now what about now what about now Mom? when you grow up oh cut to yeah so carol never they, listens it's okay <laughs> no it's all good i love my mom y'all know i do so after they drunk volker walks off sean looks at him nervously flashes back to fighting the monster earlier and realizes that it's volker oh who by the way if you say volker and talk to text it come up it comes up as vulgar <laughs> yeah because uh you see this this the cut across his forehead basically. yes that yeah. yes that that's well. what gives it away yes Corey goes in sean's with Corey. Corey goes into the tent for a moment and Atkins grabs Sean and pulls him away and asks, what do you know about the Kronos Corporation? Sean acts like he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's like, what are you talking about, man? Atkins says, come on, you dated a Mizki Sagawa whose father worked for Kronos. He was murdered shortly before the LA branch was destroyed. Do you know anything about that? So you don't have to see the original movie because he found it out all right there. Yeah. And this Sean's is when like, he's like, oh, the LA branch. Yeah, Sean goes, I only know about what I read in the papers. And then Atkins goes, hey, less of that shit, all right? Atkins still has a hold of him. Sean's like, let go of me. I don't know anything. Mm." And Atkins goes, you knew enough to know about the claws that weren't yours. Sean says, what? Atkins says, you said the claws weren't yours, so who are they? I want to know about Kronos and what they do. And Sean says, why? You said Kronos was destroyed. Kronos LA. And Sean goes, Kronos LA. Atkins goes, we know Kronos is worldwide, but we don't know what those things are. We found breeding tubes and blood samples, but never any bodies. Sean finally caves and turns back to Atkins and says, all right, look. Kronos is those things, the whole organization. They look human, but they're not. They change. Atkins goes, you serious, aren't you? Sean says, yeah. You saw that dead guy last night? The thing that killed him is one of the guys in the camp. Atkins goes, then why didn't he kill you? And suddenly Corey shows up and says, oh, hi, guys, basically like interrupts them. And Sean says, I'll tell you later. And Atkins goes, no, you'll tell me now. Don't make me arrest you. Sean goes, here? Corey says, everything okay? Sean says, yeah, it's fine. And he starts to walk off. And Atkins says, kid, you got to get your priorities straight. (laughs) Sean and Corey walk off back to the party. Atkins goes in the other direction. Probably go, you know. On his CB and talk to his good buddies on the CB radio. Crazy Gooder coming at you sideways. Gaver. Gaver. Yeah, dude, this is cool. Like, I mean, we haven't really said it, but I'm going to guess you felt the same way. Like, this feels like a 90s TV show. It could be a 90s TV show. And honestly, 
it, it has all the thing, the setup to be a t- uh, an ongoing TV show. Like the fact that the Kronos, you know, corporation is bigger. They could go to town to town. Like it could almost be like uh, the War of the Worlds, where like there's this like spec op team of him, Corey, and Atkins are out there doing things. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they thought about that. I would also wouldn't be surprised if having this movie be rated R would, you know, kind of squash that potential. But I look at this now and I'm like, you could make this show on like HBO Max or something and actually have it be rated R and actually have it be violent and and keep it violent. But back then, back in 94, when this came out and, you know, like the stuff that we had at that time was like, you know, Xena Warrior Princess and Hercules. And and this feels like it, honestly, it kind of feels like it could sit on the same shelf as all of them as a series, just the way it's shot and everything like that. But I do feel like it would have to be rated R in some way, shape, or form. Because when we do get more violence later, it it does elevate the the, the movie and the character and, and the danger when we actually see some, some real blood and gore happening. Yeah, because, uh, spoiler, we're not even at the halfway point of this movie. So a lot of this is taking a really long time to get to the payoff. Really long time. But My- we're about to get to a cooler payoff finally getting to the ship right now cut to inside the cave and edwards dr edwards Corey's dad is with crane and they're using using like a like a blowtorch on the uh on the on the ship but it's not doing anything they put their hand where the blowtorch was and it's cold and crane's getting upset you know he's like We've come this far. Now what? Marcus says, well, we can have a laser cutter. It'll be here in two days, three days tops. Crane says, we don't have time to wait. Dr. Edwards, Marcus goes, what do you want me to say? Open sesame? And suddenly the ship glows and a weird part of it opens up to a door. Sean looks on, but he's kind of like having a diarrhea attack. You know, when your (laughs) stomach starts to cramp on you and you have too much milk or butter popcorn and like freaking out because... Something is like communicating with him, but he doesn't know what it is. So, was he the one that made it open? Uh, I'm assuming yes. That was my takeaway. Is that yeah, his his constipation, diarrhea face was it was it opening? And I gotta say, CGI, ninety CGI is always terrible. But it for, didn't look that bad. No, but for some reason, liquid metal, and maybe it's because it was perfected by T two. But anytime metal turns liquid in CGI form, it doesn't look bad. I'm actually no. fine with it. And I was like, oh, like actually all the CGI in this movie isn't bad. No, the, because it's used sparingly. Yeah. And the, and the practical effects are the majority of the effects in the movie. Yeah. And, and again, all of the effects are very fucking good. Or the acting. The acting yes. is not bad either. It's no. not bad. Really I, I, I I love Corey. I love Atkins. I love Sean. I'm I'm into all of these characters. I think the the dad is fucking great too. You know. Yeah, Marcus. And, yeah, and even even Crane is is good. You know, like you can tell that he's a bit better when he's just voicing the creature. So maybe he's he's more comfortable being like sort of a VO actor. Uh, Crane is, but all of these guys and gals, I, I'm into all of them. Suddenly, you cut to Doctor Edwards in like hazmat gear going into the ship giving a thumbs up to go in and the rest of the group watch from a tv monitor and this is interesting because he goes into the ship in the suit 
and then it's like she fast forwards on the TV monitor and then you cut to Edwards coming out of the ship giving a thumbs up and says the radiation levels are acceptable. So you know he's been in there for some time looking around, but they yeah. don't show any of that because they're about to show it in just a minute. Yeah. He says, we can continue. He kind of sends everyone off to do the rest of their work while he has Crane and a few security guards go in with him and Sean and Corey as well. And I like how he gives that speech like, hey, if anyone feels lightheaded or something, just we end it now. We're like, no one's dying today in the in the name of science. But I also like when they get into those first corridors of the ship, the camera does this weird like rotating lens thing. And like and they don't do it too often, but it, they kind of only do it at, at the, this beginning corridor area when when Sean and Corey are walking and everything. But I like it. I was like, oh, that's different. That's interesting. That makes makes it like kind of you know alien and and weird and everything and i like that yeah because remember they that the cory said earlier that it's organic it's growing you know it's it's a living thing basically yeah uh she has a video camera with her and as they go in yeah that's when her dad says you know no one touches anything or enters any sealed room we're cataloging only today take lots of pictures and try to map out the interior as you go. If you have any trouble breathing, get out. We're not sacrificing anyone in the name of science. I, I love that. And it kind of has shades of, of Apone and aliens when he's like, nobody touch nothing, you know? Yeah, we kind of it remind the ship looks a little bit like, you know, an alien intestines, yeah. basically. Yeah, like a xenomorph type of thing, bio, like organic type of thing. Yeah, and, and this is another set that's absolutely fantastic. All of the sets in this movie are absolutely fantastic i totally agree i totally agree um as everyone goes into the ship edwards and his team which is crane and the two security agents go one direction sean and Corey go the other direction inside the ship as edwards and his team walk away crane's whispering something to the other security guards so you know already he's up to something suspicious right yeah Cut to Corey and Sean in what appears to be the center of the ship. I thought it was the center at first. It kind of looks like um, like a, there's like a tree, like an alien tree in the middle. And Corey talks about how humid it is inside the ship. She's taking footage with her video camera. And as she's taking video footage, Sean kind of ducks out and goes down another corridor of the ship. Sean goes into another main room which has like a platform in the center of it. And up in the top of the of the room, he's staring at what appears to be the same kind of Benoit ball that he has on his head when he turns into the Giver. He's asking if the ship can hear him. He's asking the ship to talk to him. Suddenly out of nowhere, he's being followed by one of the security guards, a female security guard. She doesn't have a name. I'll just refer to her as female security guard. Yeah, it's the one. I mean, she's going to be a zoonoid later, and she's going to have a, a battle with Atkins and everything. But there is only one female security guard, and, and that's her. And you can tell she's like a stunt woman. Oh, yeah. her acting isn't great. Because <laughs> <laughs> her acting's atrocious now. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, uh, you cut back to Edwards with Crane, who's with Volker as well. They're in another part of the ship with a, another weird like tree type thing in the center of it. As they're looking at it, Crane wants to get to the top of this tree area 
and Edwards is just like assuming that they'll have to rig some sort of you know scaffolding to get to the top of it, because for some reason Crane feels like whatever they're looking for is at the top of this tree thing that they're looking at. Cut back to Sean, who's still in that part of the ship, talking to the Benoit ball, that's kind of pulsating, <laughs> and he the stands anal bead, on the giant <laughs> anal bead <laughs> exactly. He tells the ship that he's here. He said it, it called him. Say something. Suddenly the ball like seems to be communicating with him, but it's not saying anything. Uh, and Sean says, you know, you got the wrong guy. I can't live like this anymore. I'm not a killer. I just want to be normal again. Are you he even listening to me, Dad? Yeah, he's like, I just want my life back, Mom! <laughs> Cut to Corey in her room looking at the tree and she's touching part of the tree. What she, his, her dad said, don't touch anything. Don't. Number one rule. She didn't listen. And she <laughs> nobody touched this, nothing. Nobody touched nothing. And suddenly it opens up and there's like some joy juice in there. And there's some sort of device in the center. Corey's dad arrives, Dr. Edwards with crane and Volker. She gets excited to show them what she's found, but her dad gets upset and says, I told you not to touch anything. Watch anything. Jeez. Jeez. Giver. Crane is very serious and wants to see what she found. Cut back to Sean in the center of the room hearing Corey scream saying, no, give it back. I found it first. No, she doesn't say that, but she's screaming. It's close. (laughs) He looks up at the eye and he kind of gives this diarrhea face and he runs off. The security guard that was watching him is like underneath the platform that he was standing on. Yeah, and and she's doing her, okay, now I want you to act concerned. Hmm. And she's just like, okay, let me act pensive. Let me, all right, she goes, okay, let me think back to my acting 101 (laughs) class. And okay, I am, I am doing it now. And then, how does it feel? How does it taste? How does it smell? Jesus, what does it sound like, bro? I I know you're have you taken acting? I know you've done um, uh, improv stuff, but you've taken like acting proper classes, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I took a class once with this this teacher. She's so full of shit. Like her acting style, she she wanted us to sit in the center with our eyes closed of this room with all the actors around us with our eyes closed to think of a memory that triggers emotion. (laughs) I was like, it wasn't working for me. It wasn't, it's not my style of acting. And it was so forced. And I was like, this is so not working for me right now. And it's kind of what security guard number eight is doing in this movie. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's like 101. It's like, okay, I need you to just find that. And I need you to feel pensive. And then she's just, I, I don't know what she's doing, but it's not any, any emotion that I'm sort of aware of. She's kind <laughs> no. of got a mix of, of fear and concern where, where I think the ultimately she needs to just be like, you know, like, Oh, hmm, concerned and ponderous, hmm. but no, she's, her eyes are real big. And I'm just like, Oh girl, Oh, just go back to, but she does fine as stunt work. When she turns into the zoonoid, she's great. Like you can tell that's her, her waters that she's comfortable oh, swimming in because she can be big and she's under a mask. You yeah. Know? So she's a, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I'm like, how long are you going to stay underneath that platform? She stays in there for quite a while, I think. Uh, but she's probably, because she is a zoonoid, she's familiar with where she's at, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. 
cut back to Corey being subdued by Volker, and he's got a big smirk on his face. And she's upset, saying, you know, we're the researchers. It's our job to examine the new artifacts. And Crane says, well, as the founders, uh, as the funders of this expedition, we have whatever rights we choose. If you don't like it, go back to state and teach freshman archaeology while we're making history. Corey says, Dad, why don't you stop him? And she goes, this is the most important discovery we've made, and you're letting him take it away. Uh. And her dad says, we'll get our chance, Corey. Arlen's just taking it away for um, safekeeping. Safekeeping, Dad? He's stealing it. Sean shows up and asks if Corey's okay. She's still pissed. Crane walks off with the device that she found, walks past Atkins as well, because Atkins suddenly shows up too. Corey screams at Crane. Edwards tells her, just let it go. She goes, he's taking it away. It's a breach of contract, Crane. We'll see you for this. And her dad's like, forget it, Corey. We'll get our chance. Just let it go. Go. She's like, let it go. What's the matter with you all? And she gets pissed. And she storms off. Giver, caw! Giver! Cut to Crane, putting the device in a metal suitcase, then being approached by the female security guard. She wants to talk about Sean. And I gotta say, when, you know, because you see what's in the security case, it's it's the Giver unit. It's another Giver unit. Giver. Um, Giver. Um, I was so hoping to see a female Giver in this movie. I was so hoping that Corey would put that Giver suit on, but... It doesn't go that way, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and I want to talk to uh, Kathy Chris, Christofferson about that because uh, that would have been really cool if she became the Giver as well. Yeah, I would. I, that would have been fucking awesome. And then again, I, I keep seeing this as like a, a TV show. I mean, I, I think it's got the backbones. It could easily be one. And I'm talking like a 90s like syndicated style TV show, but like with like rated R violence. And I want to see her like Sean and Corey both be fucking Givers. I think that would be so fucking rad, dude. Well, I think that's the inevitable s- sequel to this if they would ever made yeah. it, but they didn't. Um, and apparently um, every time, you know, David Hayter gets asked this a lot at cons and stuff like that. If there's going to be a Giver three and everything, like I said, this movie does have a significant cult following. You know, it's funny though, when you hear people like, I think it's because of the success of something like Karate Kid, people, especially with like North Shore on $2 late fee, they're like, why didn't you ever make a, why don't you make a series or make a sequel to North Shore now? And you're like, these guys are almost 60 years old. You know, it's not going to be the same vibe. Like Karate Kid works. I mean, you could, you could, you certainly could, but just, it's not going to be the same thing that you expect. Nostalgia is one hell of a drug. Yeah. And Karate Kid works because they're bringing in the newer people. Um, And it's funny that you mentioned that because I just saw an article on Reddit. um, I think I forget who it was by, but it was basically Bruce Campbell saying he would love, you know, Briscoe County Jr. to, to get re, you know, revitalized, even if he had to like take a, a background to it. And I could totally see that. Like, have it called Briscoe County, you know, the third or something, you know, and have it be his kid, you know, and he's the the, the the parent or whatever. But 
you know, I think that there is, there's always that door open. And I, my understanding is, is that even uh, Telltale Games, uh, the, the the people who did the Walking Dead games and stuff, um, they were even looking at this as a property to do one of their games, you know, around, but kind of didn't pan out. And I just, I think there's so much meat on the bones that can be explored, but it's, it's just a shame that this license just seems to be, you know, dead on the vine, unfortunately. Yes. But Sean and Corey's relationship is not. It's, <laughs> it's very it's much anything alive. but. <laughs> Guyver, because he shows up at Corey's tent. She doesn't want him to be there. He says, look, there's things that you need to know. He starts to tell Corey that she and her father have been lied to. He says that they're working for a company called Kronos. And Crane is a part of that. And they're not good people. He's telling her the whole story about Kronos. That they're, and she's like, no, we're, our backers are the Tempest group. He goes, no, it's Kronos. Trust me. And as he continues to talk to her about this, camera pans down on the table that they're, that they're sitting at. And you see a little bug on the other side listening in. It's Atkins listening on the other side of the conversation. Sean continues. He says, the thing you discovered is very important to them, Kronos. It's called a Giver unit. It's it's a powerful weapon. Kronos has been after it for years. All the people, shit, all the people who work for Kronos can change into monsters called Zoonoids. Volker is one for sure. Probably most of the others. The monsters in the cave paintings and the skeletons you've been digging up, they're Zoonoids. The bears that killed those people are Zoonoids too. They've lived alongside us forever. All the stories you've ever heard about werewolves or Bigfoot or... They're all... Corey gets up from her cot looking annoyed and not wanting to believe Sean. And he goes, oh, wait, wait. She's like, I trusted you, Sean. Yeah. I trusted you to not be crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is really <laughs> funny. Like, we all trust. And I, and I thought that was like, I, I, I love that line because I think as like, it's the most human statement you can make because at the end of the day, we all trust each other not to be crazy like you know what i mean like that's boils down to it zach i trust you not to be crazy and you do the same for me guyver <laughs> guyver yeah and and he right now he sounds like he's on his way to cuckoo town yes so, it's on his yeah. way no stops no fucking don't pass go no two hundred dollars just cuckoo town right there but the only pushback I'll say is like she's investigating stuff that's supernatural anyway. So why wouldn't she believe this a little bit? Supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. Actually, it's a good point. You would think that, yeah, she's into clearly the ancient alien stuff. You think she'd be like, okay, maybe you're crazy, but this is still kind of interesting. You think she'd right. still kind of maybe give him a, a, you know, and then you also don't know. Because she does allude to the fact that they know what they're digging up. They just don't want to say to him. So you think that there maybe would have been a little connection right there. But no, 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 no. She she trusted Sean to not be crazy, and he failed her. She's like, just shut up and be handsome, you hunk. Guyver. Shut up and be handsome, Guyver. Just, just kiss me, Guyver. Guyver, yeah. So she gets up, and she starts to storm off. And you cut to... Her going to Crane's office, where she wants to obviously talk to him about taking the Giver unit that she found, but she doesn't know it's a Giver unit. And he's in his cabin, the office in his cabin, 
and she walks over to the door to listen in on his conversation. And it's Crane talking to Mr. Guawu or whatever, the, the head of the Kronos Corporation. And he says, you know, the ship we excavated, it's a gold mine. And Mr. Guawu or whatever his name is says, now's the time to terminate all non-Kronos personnel and bring in our own. And Crane kind of questions him and says, terminate? What about Edward's daughter? Kind of like, what are you talking about? And Gowu says, what about Edward's daughter and the Giver? And Crane says, well, don't worry about her. She, she's handled. And the Giver's in our hands. He'll be on the way to you in an hour. And Gowu says, no promises, Crane, just results. Corey hears all this, but suddenly she's discovered by Voker, who grabs her from behind and pulls her into Crane's office. Crane says, hmm, I think we've got a problem. It would have been cool if, like, yeah, if, if Crane had some humanity in him and well, everything. He, he's going to have a moment in a second where you think he maybe is. But but I don't but think it is because at, at, when that scene ends, he's like, I love my job. And I'm just like, okay, he, he's just a cartoon villain. It's true, but it would have been nice if if he actually, if he wasn't. And if he was like, but but these are my people. Like, like even though they're not, zoonoids like they're still my people and they trust me i i would have just liked to have had a, a more three-dimensional character out of crane my my blanket my blanket what <laughs> my blanket don't you remember that south park episode where where uh michael jackson shows up he's like my blanket oh my blanket. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i actually haven't seen a lot of i'm not a huge south park fan but i have seen that one but i'm not a big neither south am i park but guy. it just kind of popped in my head for some reason where he's like come on be okay. be nice to me be nice my, to me my blanket. guyver 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 <laughs> hey everybody Corey here i just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke. <laughs> and now, back to the show. Cut to Sean at camp looking for Corey. Corey! Corey! No, I'm just kidding. Corey! <laughs> he finds Bob. Yeah, I like Bob how Bob's like, you guys are always missing each other, aren't you? Bob's invested in their relationship. Bob's invested, and Bob is one of those hippie dudes who probably plays hacky sack in a hacky sack group and yeah. you know with his uh spin doctor's outfit on bob gave me shades of the guy from strange uh dead kid strange behavior who would eventually go on to be jimmy olsen in superman the superman movie you know he oh, gave yeah, me shades yeah. of that actor yeah i agree or good. or 
shades of the the older brother from E.T. Oh, totally. Yes. Like, yes. Kind of goofy looking, you know? Yeah. He's kind of goofy looking. Yeah. Bob says, I'll try the commissary. She might be there. Sean suddenly stops as he's walking towards the commissary. Here's a sound coming from the cave. He makes his annoyed, I've got diarrhea face, and starts to walk away from the cave, but the sound gets more intense, pulling Sean into the cave. So this whole movie, I've been like, why is David Hayter, like, why wasn't he a bigger actor? Like, why wasn't he bigger? Like, I feel like he has the looks, he has everything. But when you say how he makes diarrhea face, and I'm like, he kind of does. And I'm like, I wonder, like, and yeah, that his, his, his angry or his like stern face, it looks like he's about to explode with diarrhea. And I was like, and I'm starting to think maybe that's it. Maybe that's the reason. And folks, before you go, come on, what do you know about that? I have diarrhea. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I suffer from, uh, uh, lactose being somewhat lactose intolerant so i know everything about diarrhea face yes dude i am lactose intolerant i have my lactate pills i will be bringing them with me when i come to visit you in la because i can't not have them with me because if i don't it's bad news bears so i get it i get it yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna turn you vegan we don't have to worry about that anymore guyver uh, guyver <laughs> so he ends up going to the cave and he's being watched by He's being watched by the female security guard. Cut to Corey being taken away by Volker and another random security guard in a Jeep. But uh, they're, they're, they're leaving Crane's cabin. But lurking behind the cabin is Dr. Edwards, Corey's dad, who's been watching him the whole time. And this is when I kind of clued in on the fact that everyone is doing acting 101 because yeah. when, when he watches them go, he like takes off his glasses and then bites you know bites the end of the glass ah, she? Yeah. you know what i'm talking about guys you you know that look it's all it's all the standard looks that actors give and great actors or maybe great directors will be like oh don't do that because that's kind of generic we'll do something else but because wang is not the best director in the world he kind of lets them just do their thing maybe they looked at wang and they said double or nothing or Wang said, double or nothing. You can do that scene again. Double or nothing. And he lost the bet, and they didn't have to do it again. Yeah, maybe. Dude. Double or nothing from Big Trouble Little China reference. <laughs> double or nothing, Wang. Come on, Wang. God bless you. Uh, <laughs> 1,140. Uh, what does he say? That, uh, never mind. Anyways, uh, cut back to Sean going in the cave. He's looking at the ship. Crane's standing behind him. And, says, and then Crane says, it's calling you, isn't it? Startling, Sean. Sean asks, what do you mean? Crane says, it calls me too. We're both its children. Crane says to Sean, I know who you are, and I know your pain. Sean tries to dismiss him and walk away, and Crane says, we're both bastards of an uncaring parent. We've been violated. Ooh. Yeah. Our lives have been changed against our will. Ooh, ooh. Sean, I know what it's been like for you. You've lost in the no. voice of Michael Bolton. <laughs> You've lost friends and lovers, haven't you? So have I. We're forced to lead secret lives. Trust <laughs> me. I Honestly, I love this scene, but hearing the word <laughs> lovers come out of Bruno's mouth, the guy who plays Crane, because he's, he's like, 
he's got a baby face, but he's balding. It's it's not a good look. Like all around, it's not a good look. And when he says lovers, I throw up a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> lovers. But, but overall, I fucking love this scene. It's actually one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Me too. But if you hear it as Michael Bolton singing yeah, it, yeah. it sounds so much better. Yeah, you made you made it less vomitacious in my mouth. <laughs> And then suddenly, Sean still kind of turned around. Crane screams at him, you know, trust me. When Sean turns around, he sees Crane turning in this alien, evil alien monster. He very much looks like the alien in uh, Guillermo del Toro's Shape of Water, actually. Oh, it's yeah. It's very similar to that. Yeah, he's got kind of mandibles on his face. And, yeah. Um, he is the the best zoonoid in the movie, um, cause his mouth moves, his, his eyes move, the mandibles move. The face is so expressive that I'm, I'm blown away by how good he looks in, in, in Zoonoid form. But also they do some really good transformation shots where he kind of leans in and kind of growls with his like early makeup on. And he yeah. even does a shot where he kind of turns his head and then turns it back. And it's, and it's even different then. And I even rewound it, like trying to be like, Oh, how did they do that? They're, my God, th- this movie has so many amazing qualities in it. And, and this is why I harp on the, the two-hour thing, because moments like this are awesome. Th- this scene, from beginning to, in- to end, the scene is fantastic, but it's fucking 30 minutes after our last fight, you know? like Yeah, we haven't had a fight for a really long time. God bless you, Wang. <laughs> And then, and then this isn't even the end of the scene because no. Crane continues as the Zoonoid, and he's like, you know, I know, look at me, I'm hideous. Do you think I want to be this way? That's why we're here to take back our lives. Somewhere in the ship is the key to changing us back. Let's find it together. We can take the giver out of you. We can make you normal again. Isn't that what you want? Sean says, I don't know. You're killers. Crane says, and so are you. And Sean says, no, it's the one that kills, not me. Crane says, let us help you. We can make it stop. What do you say, friends? Friends. <laughs> he holds out his hand. He's like, friends. Oh, <laughs> realistic, he's like, friends? But I love how you delivered this scene. <laughs> Thank you. And, and then Crane puts, yeah, he puts Santa. Sean doesn't know how to respond. Well, but then Sean does know how to respond. He responds with diarrhea face. He goes, mm, no. And now. he says, no. And then Crane says, pretty. And suddenly the female security guard behind Sean hits him over the back of the head and knocks him out. Yeah. Crane says, take him back to the base. Keep him sedated. And laughs maniacal, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. And he says, I love my job, yeah. And, dude, like, it's cheesy. Like, when he's, like, uh, you know, he kind of, like, crosses his arms and he laughs. And he's like, I love my job. And, like, I'm like, that's kind of cheesy. But at the same time, this is where they should have leaned. Like, in all of it. This is the this best. Is the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, this is the shit that's awesome. Because I love the juxtaposition of a zoonoid, this monstrous creature, saying these very human things like i love my job and later he's like oh marcus you're fired you know and it's just it's 
it's funny and they might have thought it was cheesy, but I would have done two things. Ramped up the violence and ramped up this cheesiness. I think it would have been so much fun. Right. I totally agree. I totally agree. But we're about to get to some fighting, so have no fear. It cuts to Corey in the Jeep with Voker and random security guard. And he asks if, if she's comfy. And she kicks him in the face with a really good kick, by the way. It's a great kick. He puts a gun on her and starts wrestling with her. Suddenly, the driver hits something in the road and the Jeep gets stuck. Out of nowhere, a Zoonoid shows up. He tells the girl in the car to get out. Tells Corey to get out of the Jeep. Tells her to run. The Zoonoid picks up the front of the Jeep and starts shaking it with the two security guards inside. This Zoonoid looks like a bug, by the way. And I know you'll talk about that in a second. He lifts the Jeep up, flips it over, gives a weird, like, elephant-type scream. When the Zoonoid flips the Jeep over, after he gives out his elephant-type scream, that <laughs> he flips the Jeep over, and suddenly this, the Jeep starts shaking, and, and you see punching on the inside of the Jeep coming out. Zoonoid looks curious. Corey's watching from afar. Yeah, suddenly, even I, when her dad told her to run, but okay. Right. Suddenly, claws come out of the Jeep, ripping it apart. And both security guards have now zoonoided themselves. And, and they say... And sorry, it looks amazing when they shoot out from behind the the Jeep. And they're both doing, like, the anime pose as they're shooting, like, straight up in the air. I fucking I wish, love that shit. I, yeah, I wish it would freeze frame and be like, so annoyed. Yeah. And didn't. And then uh, when they, as they rip out of the Jeep, one of the zoonoids says to this bug zoonoid, you shouldn't have interfered, Marcus. And then that's the big reveal that it's Corey's dad. Yeah. And come on, dude, you knew it was going to be him. Like, you know, it is. Yeah. And, and I was saying, you know, I know you might want to talk about the fact that he looks like very bug like looking. One of them looks like a potato bug. And then of course, Volker is like the kind of, he doesn't look like a wolf man, but he's more of the more, he's one of the more like, expressive monsters yeah he's he's more of a he's like a rhinoceros mixed with something else but yeah he's a bit more his costume has a bit more going on um the other one that yeah like you said it's a potato bug looking thing that's you know that's that's a little bit the weaker one marcus looks interesting he's almost like some kind of beetle type of thing like a beetle mixed with a beetle mixed with the original alien uh, uh the original uh, uh uh space jockey that they find an alien how he kind of has like that that nose and later on you find oh that's a helmet i don't give a shit i'm talking about the original alien movie you know he's kind of like a mix with that in a beetle he looks okay but Vol- volker is the best looking of the three he said he looks like a beetle. I wonder what beetle he looks like. Is it John Paul or Ringo or George? Ding-a-ding-a-ding-ding. Buddy-buddy-boo. Buddy-buddy-boom-boom. I actually um, have never been a fan of the Beatles. Wow. Well, you know, they have their moments, and they should be appreciated for their sure. contributions to yes. rock music history. Um, so they, they, they have this epic tussle. It doesn't last very long, actually. But in this melee, in this battle that they're having, and again, it's like Corey kind of talked about it earlier. They're, each fight is different from one another in, in some ways. But these are just, you know, badass brawls. And 
the Jeep that they ripped out of kind of continues to roll towards the edge of this uh, cliffside that the that they're on, the road the road is on, and it rolls off the cliff, falling down to a nearby kind of quarry area where there's a pond, and it explodes. Marcus, it's is thrown off the cliffside as well. The two evil Zoonoids follow after him. Corey's able to make her way down the mountain, calling out for her dad. The two evil Zoonoids get the upper hand on Marcus. Marcus Edwards, but Corey picks up some rocks and throws them at the monsters. She yells at them not to hurt her dad, and one, the potato bug, starts coming towards her. She runs away in fear, and you cut to Sean being sedated in his tent, strapped down to his cot by the security guard, the female security guard, who's about to give him more sedative. This is important. She gives him the sedative, which knocks him out further, She tells another security guard to keep an eye on him. She walks off. While she walks off and Sean sleeps, out of nowhere, the security guard she told him to she told to watch Sean gets knocked on his ass by Atkins. Yeah, Atkins saving the day. Saving the day. Saving the day. Saving the day. Within the span of like five seconds or so, and I'm assuming no time is really supposed to have passed. Atkins runs over to Sean, starts slapping him to wake him up. And Sean's like suddenly wide awake, undoes the bindings. Yeah, I I, I wish, I mean, my God, this movie's two hours long and there's one piece of dialogue that I wish, which was Sean saying, oh, the Giver counteracted the sedation or something. Sedations don't have an effect on me. I was playing the whole time. Yeah, Yeah, something. But he didn't and they didn't. So you got to assume what the fuck just happened? <laughs> uh, and, and Atkins is like, I got to get you out of here. The government wants you in one piece. My backup's on its way. This place is about to become a battlefield. And Sean says, but the students. Atkins says, says, fuck the students. Yeah, he goes, the students are fine. And he goes, now, now listen about this Giver unit. What can it do? He starts asking him a million questions. And Sean's like, Corey, I've got to get to her. And Atkins says, they've already taken her. There's nothing I could do. He says, Where? And he gives them directions about where they are. And Atkins is like, wants to know more about the Giver unit. And, but Sean's like, I got to go. I got to rescue Corey. And Atkins is like, I'm sorry, I can't let you go. But <laughs> out of nowhere, Sean knocks Atkins on his ass and takes off. Yeah, he does a little karate on him. This is when the music intensifies. Sean gets in, gets into Corey's truck and drives off to go rescue Corey. You know you can fucking cut five shots out of this drive to wherever they're going. It's like, uh, I'm driving so fast. I'm driving down these dirt driving roads. Driving so fast. Uh. Dramatic driving. All that being said, when Sean, David Hayter, finally comes to the location where he looks out over the, the valley or whatever, holy fucking shit. That's gorgeous. Like, yeah, it's a beautiful it, shot. It pulled, they, they get one of the most fucking amazing shots I've ever seen in a movie. Like, guys and gals, it is stunning. And it's in the Giver 2 Dark Hero. And it, and this is where this is where Sean yells out, Corey! Ricola! <laughs> and she hears him somehow. She hears him. Sean! <laughs> and they, they, he he hears her, and he's kind of gauging what he's going to do next. And he jumps off the cliff, 
So he like st- he he centers himself, right? Yeah. He looks nervous, but then he centers himself with a deep breath, a non diarrhea a non diarrhea breath. <laughs> and as he jumps off the cliff, he yells, "Giver!" Giver turns his Giver suit turns open into like little mini parachutes that carry him slowly down to the ground, and he becomes the Giver unit as he hits the ground ready for battle to attack the Zonoids. It's That's really awesome. an awesome shot. Yeah. It's a GIF that you can find online, by the way, and I send it to Corey all the time. It's a cool shot, and, you know, it's a little, a little, you know... Uh, it's CGI, but it's, it's, shit, it's as good as the mainstream stuff that came out in the 90s. Yeah, and actually, for 2023, it doesn't look fucking bad, to be honest with you. No. So when he gets down there, he becomes Giver, and he takes off at light... He takes off at lightning speed. <laughs> Cuts to Corey, who's now being pushed into a pond by Potato Bug, Zoonoid. And Marcus is being thrown into the water on the other side, like the other side of this pond that they're in. The two evil Zoonoids go to attack Corey and Marcus, respectively. Right before Corey gets attacked, the Giver comes out of nowhere to save her. He fends off the two creatures picking up Corey in the process and telling her to take cover. And I like there's some cool there's like cool like noise coming out of the Giver when he moves and shit. It's, it's it sounds like it's like air kind of like shooting out of him or something. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. And and it's this is a great battle scene. It yes. goes on for several minutes until finally Sean uh cuts the potato head's bug off, which is great. Cuts uh, you said cuts the potato head's bug off. Yeah, it cuts the sorry, potato cuts bug's the potato head heads, off. The, the, cuts the potato cuts the potato heads cuts the potato bugs head off guyver i'm keeping it all fucking in god damn it god damn it robert and when he does that it's super cool because he's in the water they can't find him but like it kind of like slows down and the potato bug sort of look at the looks is looking at the camera and the guyver explodes out of the water behind him and in a full-on anime pose and i'm like that's awesome should have again freeze frame and go oh yeah oh yeah and then it comes down and fucking slices its head off and god damn it i wish the gore was more pronounced it's so tame it's so tame it's such it's so tame it's lame in that sense because they don't show the head really fall off they see it slump off but they could have done a cool like more gory shot but they didn't but they make up for it when he takes the pain to Volker in like literally like a minute from now. Right, exactly. So, because from now he killed that Zonoid, he's now on to Volker. Giver backs Volker into a tree, causing blood to come out of his mouth. He's just pounding the shit out of him. All right, dude, I I, I got all of this. So, my yeah, favorite, one of my favorite parts is Volker comes out of him before the tree part, comes at him, jumps through the air, fucking. Giver kicks him and like redirects him midair. I always love when you redirect somebody's momentum. And then yeah. he fucking slams it like with his back to, to the Zoonoid Volker. He slams him up against a fucking tree. Blood comes out of Volker's mouth. He fucking spins around, slices his fucking guts up and everything with his arm blades. Then Volker tries to grab him. He grabs Volker's hands, breaks them at the the mid palm area Volker's like what the fuck like looking at what am I doing by my hands what am I doing by my hands you know my hands my hands my hands my hands then fucking Giver just shoots him 
like with a little pinprick laser from his fucking anal bead in the middle of his forehead. He shoots him and it explodes both of Volker's eyeballs. And I'm like, holy fucking shit. And then he fucking like just kind of crushes Volker's head a little bit. And and then the creature falls over and dies. And I'm like, this is how every fucking Zoonoid fight should end. Like, this is the template right here. And I mean, and I love how how liquidy the blood is. Like, it's very watery. It's not, like, goopy and everything. And yeah. It's spraying everywhere. It's vomiting out of his mouth, and his eyeballs explode. This fucking scene, this fight scene is my favorite fight scene in the movie. It's better than, I think, the climax fight scene. And this kill, the Volker kill is the best kill in the movie. Well, uh, the Crane one's pretty fucking awesome, too. But, like, every Zoonoid kill needed to be this right here. So, yeah, after that epic kill that you just described so nicely, uh, Guyver sees that there's one more Zoonoid left over by Corey, and he doesn't know it's Marcus. So he goes to slice it with his blade. Corey steps in front of the blade and then suddenly the scene goes black, which is really cool yeah. actually. And, and you, she hear the, screams. you hear the shink, you know. Yep. And then the scene fades from black and you see the blade you know centimeters, millimeters, millimeters from Corey's face. Yeah. But he freezes on her and he turn and from that moment he changes back into Sean, shocking Corey. She turns to look at her dad. He puts his hand on his face like, I'm not an animal. <laughs> I'm hideous. And he runs away. Yeah. But I love that. I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think that was so fucking cool because you, you think like, oh, shit, he's going to fucking kill Marcus. And then Corey jumps up like, no, that's my dad. And then you hear the shink. And then it goes to black. And you're like, oh, fuck. And then, yeah, it's the blade is like millimeters from her fucking eye or something. And I this, I mean, everything with the Zoonoids with Corey and with with Guyver, all of this is a fucking 10. All of this is awesome. Exactly. Totally agree. So from there, Sean looks somewhat sad, nervous, worried at Corey, and the scene cuts to Crane and the female security guard inside the cave looking at the ship. The security guard, female security guard tells Crane that it's done, but the guy escaped. And Crane says, "What's done?" She goes, "It's done, sir, but the Guyver has escaped." Crane says he'll be back. Cut to inside. Further inside the cave, one of the security guards has a gun on all the archaeologists. And we see two of them are dead at his feet, like two random archaeologist guys, I guess. Random dudes, yep. Yeah. Crane is now exiting the spaceship. When he comes out with the female security guard, you know, the archaeologists ask Crane for help. They're like, help us, Mr. Crane. And Crane says, I'm sorry, but your services are no longer needed, implying that they're all going to be killed. You know, Bob and all of them are start freaking out and suddenly they hear a punching noise. And one of the security guards that was on had a gun on the archaeologist gets hit and turns into an alien. Yeah. And it's and like a Akin, frog. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a frog. And he also dies pretty much instantly at that point. So like one hit to the head and he's dead. So he must have been pretty weak. Uh, Atkins shows up with a gun cocked on Crane and tells him not to do anything funny. Cut back to Corey and Sean in the Corey Pond area. And she says, you know, she thanks him for saving her life. And Sean looks sad and he's like, I wanted to tell you, but how do you tell somebody? Corey's like, what you told me was hard enough. 
took a lot of guts, Sean. Sean's like, look, you don't have to be nice to me, okay? He's so emo. He's so emo in the scene. Yeah. He's like, you didn't know what you're getting into. If you don't want anything to do with me, I I understand, okay? It's not the first time. He turns away from Corey. She turns him around. He goes, hey, it's every woman's dream to read. It's every woman's dream to be rescued by a knight in shining armor, even if he wears it on the inside. <laughs> and they kiss passionately. <laughs> After they kiss, he's like, I left your truck at the top of the hill. We've got to drive back down. Drive back down. I'll meet you where I'll meet you when I can. And Corey says, Wait, no, I'm coming with you. He goes, No, it's too dangerous. Atkins is bringing a strike force to arrest Crane. Corey says, Professor Atkins? He's a commander. It's with the government. <laughs> Sean's like, he'll get slaughtered if I don't get back. Corey's like, I don't care. I'm coming with you. My father's back there. I'm not leaving him. Sean's like, okay, come on. <laughs> it's like, it's almost as if that scene didn't matter at all. <laughs> I know. Why did I write it down? Because I was able to do that. So <laughs> they, they get there. Corey and Sean race off to go rescue everyone back at the dig site where Atkins and his team at this point are now rushing all the archaeologists out of the cave. They flee for their safety and they get in their cars and they take off. And we literally see every single car pull away from the site. (laughs) Every single car pull away from the site. Giver, Giver? Cut back to Atkins now uh, giving a thumbs up to his crew. And there's like Atkins crew of uh, CIA, FBI guys are all around the site with sniper rifles kind of guarding everybody. There's like four of them, but we're, I think we're yeah, supposed but, to lead to believe there's more. There's, yeah, there's, yeah, like six. And we Atkins now has the device in the steel case that uh, Crane had took from the ship and the security guard. The female security guard is there. He's taking them out of their cabin. Uh, Atkins is trying to pretend like he didn't do anything wrong. He's like, this is an outrage. We're a reputable company. Atkins goes, reputable companies don't conduct sick experiments on people. Crane says, the judge will laugh this case out of court. And Atkins says, too bad it's not going to court. Ha! Because he's implying that he's going to kill him. Yeah. Because they are like CIA type guys. Yeah. Crane turns around to look at Atkins after he says that. And Atkins puts a gun to his head. He says, don't even try it unless you think you're faster than a speeding bullet. Atkins' men bring up another security guard. So now there's Atkins is there with a random security guard, Crane, and the female security guard. Atkins is talking to his team on like a walkie device, and he's like, the area is secured. There's a man with a rifle nearby, and he says, you know, the area is secured. But then in the background, you see one of the Zoonoids coming up from behind him. Zoonoid... Corbin like yeah which gets, Corbin ne- gets mentioned you're like this guy's never been mentioned up to the up till this point yeah so yeah fucking Crane mentions something about like Corbin still out there and my second viewing I was like I kind of didn't pay attention on the first one like I it, it didn't hit me second time I'm like oh so I paused it I'm like who, who, who who's Corbin oh I must have missed Corbin let me go to IMDB look nope nope there's no Corbin anywhere else. A new Zoonoid slash, I guess, you know, a security member, but a Zoonoid shows up out of nowhere. And I think 
he's meant, if I remember correctly, he kind of looks like the boss from the boss fight from the last movie, you know? So, like, he's, he's, anyways, I'm like, oh, my God. They introduced a whole new villain with 30 minutes left in the movie and didn't even, like, put him in the movie beforehand. They, right. I guarantee you they were like, oh, I, I feel like this should have been Volk, Volker's, you know, role, but he got killed in the last scene, and I feel like they were like, oh, when in the writing process, they were like, oh, shit, we need another second in command. We'll bring in, bring in Corbin. And then the other writer's like, who? And Wang's like, <laughs> Corbin, you know, Corbin. He's just been walking around the set the entire time. Right, right. He, Yeah, you know, he's just the, the very important person that we just want to introduce in the last like you said, 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned it because I thought I was going crazy by not knowing who the fuck he was, but you said it. So, like, right. no, they, they don't ever show us him in human form then. No, and and all we know is that he kills the sniper. He actually kills... It's Pretty implied that he, all the, the CIA kills guys. everybody except for Atkins. So you cut back to Atkins, who is like, you know, well, we'll find Corbin soon enough. But it's too late at this point because you see Corbin dragging the security, like Atkins men up. And And their throats are like ripped out and shit like that. Yeah, exactly. And now at this point, uh, Crane is smiling. He he still kind of has his arms up, but he's smiling. And then you pan through the, the camera pans through his arms. His arms. Yeah. In the background, you see Sean and Corey watching the whole thing arriving and hiding. Yeah, the camera gets too close to Bruno for my my liking. <laughs> right, Corey, Corey Corey's like Corey thinks that Atkins secured the area, but Sean says no, something's wrong. Where's the backup? Sean knows that something's wrong. They go off to the cave. Sean says they have to destroy the ship. Corey asks why? Everything's under control. Sean doesn't think so. Corey doesn't want to destroy the ship because of the knowledge and the fact that she won't get to research it. But and the Sean knowledge, says, the knowledge, the knowledge. Sean says, if we don't, re- if we don't destroy it, too many people are going to die fighting for it. I'm fighting for Corey, our national security here. Come on, gaw. Suddenly Corey sees a dead archeologist on the ground. And Sean says that all they want is weapons. And he says, Corey, it's all they've ever wanted. Cut to Atkins outside with his gun on crane. And this is the point where, Oh, yeah. This is the point where you see Corbin dragging the, the CIA guys. Yeah. 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 Corbin Blue shows up from uh, High School Musical <laughs> and kills and, and has the the bodies there. Atkins freaks out, puts his hands up in the air. Female security guard grabs the gun, Atkins' gun, and puts it on Atkins. I'm glad Cra- Atkins didn't die right here. I, and no, I'm I mean, glad he didn't, you know, spoiler alert, he doesn't die the entire movie. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's an integral part of the story. Yeah, and and then Crane picks up the suitcase that Atkins had and has the alien Giver device back with him again. They walk back into the cabin to talk with Mister Gou, and Mister Gou says, "Your hour is up. Where is the Giver?" And Crane says, "There's been some delays," and Gou says, "Crane, Crane," and Crane says, "We'll get him back." He's fixated on the ship. He won't leave. And Gohu says, have him here in another hour, or shall I send someone with more experience? And Crane says, no, 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 I I can handle it. I'll take care of it. One more hour, Crane, if we lose him. One more hour, sir. Yes, sir. 
a scene that could be completely cut from the movie, it means fucking nothing. Yes. Because he opens up the briefcase again and looks at the device. He puts his hands on it, stroking it. Suddenly it comes to life. He closes his eyes, stroking it. Cut to the back of cut back to the cave where Corey and Sean are now rigging it with dynamite, like uh, something from The Thing. They're getting ready to blow it up. Corey goes on with a story about how she spent her whole life working towards this and always scared that she was chasing a pipe dream. And the minute she finds out that it's true, she has to destroy it. They set the dynamite up to a charging device. Sean puts his hand on her and says, well, he he goes to say something to her, but he starts convulsing. And she's like, what's wrong? Corey says, don't fight it. She says, go to it, Sean. And he looks at the spaceship. (laughs) Sorry, real quick. When I was taking notes today, this is when Myra came home from work. Like, literally, she was like, came home, look at the TV, and it's like, you know, it's Sean going, ha, ha. Corey's like, don't fight it, Sean. And Myra just looks at it. She goes, ha, and like sort of like walks away. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, that's a pretty good way to describe that moment. Yeah. Because suddenly, so he, he, there's a close up of the ball that's, been watching him the benoit ball and the anal bead sean's there inside the ship and it starts to illuminate sean steps onto the platform and yells i'm not the one you want and he yells giver and he turns into the giver looking up at the ball suddenly he's lifted off the platform lights are illuminated from the floor of the room the the benoit ball is illuminated red light comes out of the ball we see an image of another world flashing with volcanoes, like a red planet with alien eggs. I th- At- okay, okay. I think this is actually Earth. Like primordial- no, it, it is, yeah. it is. But initially, I'm like, this looks like another world. Yeah. It looks like the world from like Mars or something from Phantasm, right? And it's so clearly miniatures, and I love it. Again, this is where like this scene, this flashback thing that you're about to describe. I yeah. was like, oh, Stephen Kostansky, fucking love this shit. I'm sure. Oh. Big time, because from here, the camera pans through various monsters that are in the eggs. And then suddenly, as the camera pans, you see what appears to be a caveman. And then you realize in that moment that this is actually Earth. I'm just a caveman. (laughs) Just a caveman. (laughs) Lawyer. Unfrozen caveman lawyer, dude. That was was my SNL growing up right there. So good. So good. So good. No caveman lawyer for this because you get a quick shot of a caveman. That's a cool effect, by the way. Cool makeup. He looks great. And then the flashbacks continue, and you see the cavemen wearing the skulls of different givers and creatures. Suddenly, the cavemen transform into zoonoids. Mm-hmm. And you see a giant ship that's launched into space. Actually, there's three of them, in fact, that launch off into space. And you also see, like, a guy turning into a giver and screaming, too. Oh, yeah, giver, yeah. And then you see the giver watching him, yeah. um, watching the guy turning into a zoonoid. Yeah. Cut to outside of Crane's cabin. Crane exits, walking past the annoyed Atkins and the secure female security guard and the random security guard. Crane says that Goyu will be here soon. Oh, sorry. He says the Giver will be here soon. Let's prepare him a nice welcome. And dude, is this the shot where like fucking Crane is walking slowly towards the camera? Like it's the Reservoir Dogs shot. It's like Crane's there. Atkins is there. Fucking the female is there. And then 
Corbin, the Zoonoid, is there. Like, but he's not in the front. He, he's like, you know, Corbin's kind of in the middle. And he's saying, like, hey, yeah, we're all just walking slow mo. And I'm like, get a bed with him a little green bag. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Wang, God bless you. God bless you, Wang. <laughs> what is this? What is this? Chinese or something counting backwards, not backwards, <laughs> downwards. <laughs> Idiot. Jack Burton. Jack Burton, you motherfucker. Who the hell is this guy? Jack Burton, me. Um, Where the hell's the records room? <laughs> cut to, yeah, they're walking in slow motion towards the cave. Cut to Corey rigging up the explosives, asking where Sean is. Suddenly, Crane arrives. Asking, where's Corey. the records room? <laughs> so she, he goes, where the hell's the records room? She goes, Dr. Rosen penis? <laughs> Dr. Rosen? And, Rosen? <laughs> it's Dr. Rosen. And <laughs> Crane says, he yells at her and says, bring me a glass of hot fat and the head of Gr- Alfredo Garcia. I'm having a hyperventilating. Um, and so she tries to run away from Crane, but suddenly two zoonoids jump in front of her. Not the security guard. There's now two other secure. There's two other security guards and there's zoonoids. So it's Corbin Blue from uh, High School Musical and some other random guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. I think we saw the other security guard. But oh, yeah. during the Reservoir Walk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and the female zoonoid. She she she's cool looking. She's more like she looks almost demonic. A little. She's cool. Yeah, she looks great. She looks like. She looks more like a leader zoonoid, basically yeah, second I, in command. Yeah, yeah, she does. She does. Actually, I actually really like her design. I think she's cool looking. Um, Sean's still in his trance as the Giver, but then he hears Corey scream for help. So you cut back to Corey being held by Crane. Crane sees all the bombs set to explode the ship. And he says, anarchy, an archaeologist destroying the past. Not acceptable scientific behavior, Miss Edwards. Corey says it's better than handing it over to you. She jerks away from Crane. Crane orders his zoonoids to find the Giver in the ship. Female zoonoid looks really cool, by the way. Yeah, you mentioned that. She's holding on to Atkins, and she just kind of growls. Yeah. Suddenly, the two zoonoids get thrown out of the ship looking for the Giver. And the Giver appears at the entrance. Giver. Giver. Crane's holding Corey by the throat at this point. The Giver jumps down and tells Crane to let her go. Crane says, Sean, don't be a hero. Deactivate the Giver and surrender or I'll kill her. The Giver thinks about it and out comes Corey's dad from behind as the human. He hasn't turned into a zoonoid. He looks all beat up and battered, but he, and he's holding his arm, walking towards Corey Atkins and the female security guard. And he looks annoyed and he goes, we had a deal to Crane. Yes, we let you do your research and... You give us the weapons. You should have told your daughter, Marcus. It would have saved us a lot of trouble. And Corey says, Dad, how could you bargain with this murderer? Crane says, don't you get it? Corey, your dad's a company man. Crane tells Edwards to stand aside. Crane turns towards Giver and says one last time to retract the armor. Suddenly, Crane turns into a zoonoid. And he says, or I'll tear her apart. And, you know, it's like a morphine effect it's it's fine it's not the best one it's serviceable yes yeah and and they and he gives off his maniacal laugh maniacal laugh and the security guard has a maniacal laugh <laughs> two we're, random we're zoonoids bad, guys. <laughs> <laughs> bad guy laugh two random zoonoids surround giver 
and you see Dr. Edwards start to breathe, breathe heavily and you see his teeth and, uh, like turning, he's turning into the monster and he's like, you will not hurt my daughter. And he turns into a zoonoid. He grabs crane and they start battling. So it's crane versus Marcus Edwards. Crane pushes like Marcus back and he goes, Marcus, you're fired. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I mean, it's cheesy, but honestly, that's what works. This is the shit that works when, when, you know, he, he, you know, it's the, like I said, it's the juxtaposition of this like really cool looking monster saying something very silly, like Marcus, you're fired. And I think that's the kind of humor that would work when paired with extreme gore and extreme violence and everything. And the thing is like, Zach, at this point, have you noticed that all the deaths and all the co- all the gore are associated with the zoonoids, and, and no person actually gets killed except there's, for those two archaeologists that are, you don't even see them get shot. They're just on no. the ground, you know. And that was kind of shocking because I was like, "Oh shit!" Because really, no one really dies except for zoonoids, and this, and, and except for that that photographer, that journalist yeah. guy, or whatever. And that's the one kill that I wish we saw a bit more of it, you know, because I think it's it would shocking. have more of an impact. There's there's barely any swearing in this movie. There's more swearing in our podcast than there's actually in this <laughs> yeah. movie. There's, and there's more nudity R. in this podcast than there is in this movie because I have true. no pants on right now. Yes, this is, this is true. <laughs> Diver. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, from here, now at this point, it's, it's Guyver versus two random zoonoids. It's Marcus versus Crane. And Atkins is being held by the female zoonoid, and Corey's there too. And it's Corey a shame gra- we don't have the female zoonoid's name. No, we don't. We just it's female zoonoid. Yeah. Corey grabs the um, the briefcase, the 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 Giver unit that's in the briefcase, and gives it to Atkins. The Giver throws the gun at to Atkins and says to protect Corey. And Atkins goes, "Who the hell is going to protect me?" The the zoonoid laughs when he shoots at her. But then he yells to Corey to give him the case. Corey throws the case and he goes, okay, bitch, come here here," and he runs off. This is important. The only reason I point that out is because he says bitch like three times in this movie. Yeah. And it's kind of like, why did you need to say that? It's kind (laughs) of lame. Yeah. And so he runs off through the cave and he's kind of almost, I'm imagining that he's running around in a big circle and the female Zoinoid is chasing him. Marcus is battling Crane. Crane bites Marcus in the shoulder, and Marcus lets out an elephant sound. <laughs> Corey picks up a pickaxe and stabs Crane in the back. Crane turns around, and smacks her to the ground. Blood's coming out of her mouth, but Crane just like kind of not blows off the the fact that he got hit in the back with a pickaxe. Yeah, yeah Atkins, it doesn't do much to him, you know. Right. Atkins is now battling the female zoonoid. And he's putting up a pretty good fight, but eventually the alien throws him to the ground. He throws boxes at her. He tries to run away, but she trips him. He grabs some sort of pipe on the ground, and he's fighting her with it, getting the upper hand, whacking her with the pipe. Cut to the Giver, who's battling his two zoonoids. Cut back to Atkins, who grabs a fire extinguisher and blasts the zoonoid with it. 
he sees that that the female Zornoid is behind, is right in front of an electrical box. He shoves her into the electrical box panel and she gets electrocuted and she dies, morphing back into the woman and coughs out smoke. He pulls a gun out. She grabs him by the leg, puts two bullets in her head and he calls her and he just says, bitch. Like, dude, you didn't have to like, you didn't have to say that. No, I know. But like, I thought it was cool that when she fell down, you know, to the ground in human form, she's all like fucking burnt up and shit like that. I thought that was cool. And yeah, he puts like two rounds into her and then, yeah, yeah, two slugs and she's dead. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you didn't need the, the bitch part, you know, I know it's kind of just yeah. extra cause you know, yeah. cause no one, yeah, whatever. Anyways, back, cut back to Guyver still battling his two zoonoids. He grabs a stick of dynamite and shoves it into one of, Zo- one of the Zoranoid's mouths. And th- the, this Zoranoid looks like a frog. Yeah. And suddenly he shoots his laser at the, zo- at the stick of dynamite in the Zoranoid's mouth. And the Zoranoid explodes and kills it. Yeah. And it's just another one where, like, it just it could have been such a better bloody, like, head explosion or something. It's just, right. ah, it's just, damn it. You were so close, you know? Right. Suddenly, Crane's battling Marcus, and he's talking to him. He's like, "We've it didn't have to be this way, Marcus. We're doing great things together. You could have been someone in. You could have been somebody in the company. Junior vice president in charge of genocide." <laughs> oh. oh no, sorry. Marcus says that he's like junior vice president in charge of genocide. I'd rather die. Crane gets pissed and grabs a pi- grabs a pipe off the ground, and he shoves it into Marcus's chest. Yeah. Corey sees this and she screams out, no, Daddy, no! runs in slow motion towards Crane. She picks up a sledgehammer, whacks Crane in the face with a sledgehammer. That's a Cut cool shot to- because like blood like shoots out of his mouth too. Yeah, it's awesome. Cut back to Guyver battling the other Zoonoid. He's fighting Corbin Blue and he gets on top of the Zoonoid who's on the ground and he snaps its neck. Yeah, because it, it, I mean, you know. I, I again still think he was Corbin was supposed to be Volkers or whatever, you know, because he's he he's still imposing, but he's not the main bad guy because Crane is still going to be the main bad guy. Right, right. Cut to Corey defending her dad sitting in front of him as Crane moves closer and she yells, "Leave him alone!" Guyver jumps in front of Corey and says, "Back off!" To Crane, Guyver asks how Marcus is doing. Corey says, "I don't know, but it's bad." We are halfway through the main climax fight. There's probably about only, ah, realistically, eight minutes left in the movie total. But this entire climax fight, the score by Les Claypool III, has been entirely... And, like, there's no variation. There's no buildup when, like, something big happens. There's no like slow down or any, like it is the same tempo the entire time but yet you know we've had multiple climaxes already in this fight you know multiple zoonoids getting killed you would think there'd be something there no the entire it's literally the same fucking five beats you know at 10 seconds repeated the entire 22 minutes of this climax yeah yeah, it's, it's it's offensive. Yeah, we and you guys know that we've said this before. Good music can elevate a bad film and bad music can really downgrade a good film. And I think the latter happened here. Agreed. 
Agreed, because this is the most important part of the movie. Yeah. And it's going to get really interesting here because at this point, Crane kind of steps back from Guyver and brushes off some dirt. And he asks the Guyver, he's like, why are you attacking your own kind, freak? We could have helped you. Sean is the Guyver says, I'm no freak and I'm not like you. You threaten mankind. I protect them. Cut to Atkins, who appears from the side of the cave holding the briefcase, yelling out to Sean. He opens up the briefcase and it's empty. And you know what's coming right now. And Crane laughs. He goes, ha 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 ha. Who's going to protect the protector? And he's holding the Guyver unit and he yells, Biomorph! Suddenly, lightning flashes and Crane has now evolved into a mega zoonoid Guyver. Yeah, this is cool. He looks fantastic. Again, he, yeah. all the zoonoids, all the all the, the rubber suits in this movie look amazing. And he looks just as good as the Guyver suit does. Right. He's ready to, like, kick the crap out of the Guyver. But it's but also, Giver, it's, Giver, it's Guyver-esque, but, but with, around a zoonoid. It's, it's everything you think it is, and it looks as good as you think it should. Yeah, and he's massive, too. He's massive compared to Guyver. Yeah, and real quick, I, I want to call back, uh, I, I didn't mention it, but in the, in the flashback, when you saw the Guyver in the flashback, I liked that it looked different. Like, its mouthpiece was different because, you know, there was millions of years of evolution to it. I thought that was right. kind of cool. There's so many cool little micro ideas in this. Right, totally. No, I, I totally agree. At this point, they both do some sort of, like, pose down before they battle each other. At this point, they, they both do some kind of karate. Karate. And and uh, Crane does his this cool like upside down prancing mule kick towards uh towards Guyver. Sure. And and Guyver yells out, you know, I can't you can't win. The ship told me the truth. You're an experiment gone out of control. And he also mentions too that the device that Crane has on his head is damaged and it is. You can see there's like a crack in the center of it. Yeah, I mean, you could see it from the beginning and and we should have called it out, but yeah, it's it's cracked. The, the anal bead is cracked, unlike the Guyver's, which is solid. So, yeah, right. we know it's it's defective or messed up or whatever. And Crane's like, you know, I'm in complete control. Like, not, I don't, you know, he's not concerned at all. And Guyver says, Guyver slash Sean says, you know, aliens created the Guyver to fix their mistakes. And Crane says, you're the mistake. I'm the final prod, the final product, <laughs> the final right. countdown. They continue to battle with Crane getting the upper hand on the Guyver. They fight over a wooden bridge and <laughs> Guyver swings a wooden bridge that's maybe like five feet off the ground. <laughs> and they, they, it's really cool looking. Though. Yeah, no, I, I don't hate it. <laughs> Guyver gets hit off the bridge, but he swings around upside down over it and he flies over the bridge kicking crane in the chest crane projects like two giant spikes out of his arms and to battle guyver's two spikes that are in his arms yeah it's all, now, I love it. now I they're love all of this man this is all awesome yeah they're having like a sword fight with their their, their blade arms their arm blades yeah <laughs> this is when i'm like oh damn this is just like blue beetle um crane kicks guyver into a scaffolding unit that falls on top of him he grabs Sean, throws him to the other side of the cave. Crane says, with this alien power, Kronos will be triumphant, and man shall know his true destiny to serve mankind. Meow, 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 meow. 
And now Sean says, not if I can help it. You're cracked, Crane, and you're going to self-destruct. Crane says, never. The unit feeds me. I feel the power growing stronger. Crane shoves his blade into Guyver's chest and blood spurts out of Guyver. Yeah, it's really cool. It's like shooting out of his like little vent units or whatever. But it's right. yeah, it's so blade. Again, this is it should have been more of this. This is fucking awesome. This is cool. But and then, you know, Crane's like, how does it feel to become obsolete? And suddenly Corey yells out to Crane and she's got a gun. She's pointed the gun right at Crane's head and she pulls the trigger and you see and you see this cool POV shot of the bullet going towards Crane right in the center of his unit. Hits the crystal Benoit ball anal bead on his head. I mean, fucking, we should have been giving fucking Corey a gun early on. She's a crack she shot. Crack <laughs> shot. She crack shots Crane in the head. I love it. It's really cool. Cause she's yeah, she's like, great Crane. And he like looks up as he's like stabbing the Giver, and she just like fucking brain caps him, like shoots him right in his fucking anal bead right in the middle. <laughs> like it's right. crazy. And he's like, oh. He's freaking out, and at this point, Guyver slash Sean gets up and rips the crystal anal bead out of Crane's head and says, this model's been recalled. Crane <laughs> screams. I, I like that. Because it, it plays off of what they were saying before, and this is the cheesy shit that I think actually fucking works, man. I love it. It's great. Yeah, uh, Guyver does like a spin kick flip in the air kicking Crane back against a wall. Well, he's like screen. back against that scaffolding that fell over because they're going to use it in a bit to show the circular blow, you know, whatever. Right, right. And, and Crane backs up screaming in pain, his body starting to melt. Yeah. While he screams cool out for shit. help. You see droplets of his body are just falling to the ground. This is probably the goriest scene in the movie. And he's Next screaming. He's, like help. he's right like, help me, help me. Right. He's, <laughs> he's turning. Melting. He's like the melted guy in yeah. RoboCop. Right. Yeah. He's like fucking a meal in RoboCop. Help me. Suddenly, Get away from me, man. <laughs> right. Suddenly out of nowhere, uh, Guyver opens his pecs of his chest yeah that's something that's in the anime and i totally i forgot that i forgot i forgot that this was the guyver's thing but this is kind of how he kills all the main dudes in the anime he opens his chest and he and he has two like giant laser cannons that are just like type of thing you know they just like yeah flame on flame on crane and turn him into ash yeah it's awesome it's really cool and then you see like a a circle was like cut out of the the scaffolding where he was standing from the laser blast from the laser blast yeah Corey rushes over to sean who's still the guyver she hugs him she says sean we did it Corey steps back and looks at him and says (laughs) we didn't we didn't do anything i did everything she, she smiles and she goes, looks like you found your destiny. And then Sean goes, Corey, I lied. The Zoonoids weren't the failed experiment. The Givers were. The aliens turned humans into Givers so we could fight their wars for them. The humans rebelled out of control. The Givers nothing more than a weapon. I have no destiny. Corey says, you made your own. Atkins walks over and goes, you're a hell of a weapon, kid. 
it's a good thing you're on our side. <laughs> I'm not a religious. <laughs> Reagan. <laughs> fucking Reagan. I'm not, I'm not a religious man, but you may have the you may have just prevented Armageddon. Who knows how many more weapons are on board? Now at least they'll be safe with the government. Mm, <laughs> where they belong. No. <laughs> no, no. Guyvers. Sean says no. That's not where it belongs. Sean, who's still as the Guyver, his unit, his unit, his Benoit ball, his anal bead on his head opens up and pops out and lights start shooting out from it. And it activates the alien spaceship. Atkins asks, what are you doing? Sean says, I'm sending them home. Atkins says, Atkins says, you can't, you can't do that. That's the government's property. That's Stop the government. it! I, tri- mm. Everything trickles down, down to here. <laughs> You're jeopardizing our national security. Sean says, "No, I'm saving it. I'm saving it." I'm, the crystal unit I'm on saving your national security, bra. <laughs> this crystal unit on Sean's third eye seems to be like a remote control guiding the ship. Sean says, "It's not safe." Let's go, and orders everybody out of the cave. Atkins and Corey run out of the cave. Everything starts getting destroyed while the ship starts to rumble and move. Cut to a slow-mo shot of Sean, now human. He's turned his Giver unit back to human form. Uh, Corey and Atkins running out of the cave. It's a big explosion blows right behind them. The top of the mountain erupts, shoots, smoke shoots out of it, and the cave blows with the giant ship erupting and taking off into space as Corey, Atkins, and Sean look on. Sean and Corey smile while Atkins looks thoroughly pissed. The, the, the Giver's unit tentacles that are like hanging from the ship at the bottom open up and like shoot like a little beam of light behind them and the, sh- and the ship itself shoots off into space. Cut to rocks covering up a body, which is Marcus, Corey's dad. She looks totally sad. He does too. They walk away from it. it looks like they just put rocks on top of the body. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. They didn't even bury it. No. They didn't bury it. No. Ak- no. No one's got time for that, bro. Atkins walks up to Sean and says, I want to talk to you. Sean doesn't want to. Sean says, there's nothing more to say. Atkins says, wait, Sean, we're launching an underground. Sean, we're launching an underground war against Kronos. The government could use your help. Sean and Corey get into Corey's truck. Sean looks at Atkins and says, see you around. Starts the car. Corey and Sean drive off, leaving Atkins at the camp. <laughs> Atkins yells out, at least tell me how I, at least tell me how I can reach you. Atkins smiles and says, see you around, kid. Uh, Corey and Sean. And, and this is the first time, like, Atkins smiles. And, you know. Right. Finally I'm smiles. Sucker. I'm a sucker for it, man. I'm a sucker for the Atkins, you know, like, see you around, kid. I, I like <laughs> right. it. I like it. Right, and from and there you see Corey and Sean drive off, but then they pull over to the side of the road. Sean stops. They touch each other's hands and kiss passionately. They then they do butterfly kisses on their noses and they drive off. You fade to black and the credits roll. Dare, dare to believe you can survive, but they have cheesy music that plays them out. Unfortunately. Damn you, Les Claypool the Third. <laughs> Les Claypool the Third. But that is the end of Guyver Two: Dark Hero. There's some gold in this movie, man. There is some true gold. Crane's uh, uh, zoomorph, xenomorph, whatever. Zoonoid. Zoonoid. Thank you. Zoonoid. Crane's zoonoid looks fantastic. 
The Giver looks fantastic too, but like Crane's Zoonoid has more to it with like the mouth moving and everything. And I mean, it's guys and gals. I say it's really good, but what I want you to understand is it's, it's really, really good. fucking good. <laughs> like it's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool looking. Yeah, it really is. The shit that works in this movie really fucking works and it's a it's a dead horse we've beaten it a million times what doesn't work about this movie is the runtime 30 minutes could easily be trimmed off but i think it sets up a fucking amazing war of the worlds tv show theory like thing like they could take off from this and it's a shame that they no one's ever done that because i think this could be totally fucking amazing like i think a guyver tv show done rated r on you know hbo max or something like that would be amazing and i think i think you could actually keep the first movie and this movie still canon and hell bring in david Hayter as an older guyver or something i think i think there's so much here and it's just a damn shame that it's just kind of you know sitting out there and 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 doing nothing yeah as far as a you know a licensed property goes but yeah yeah but i I I look i think there's a lot to like about this movie i do truly think there's a lot to like about this movie but i think that there's a better movie buried inside the runtime i think that this movie could have could have achieved maybe not greatness but like come close to it if they had just done some just made some different choices here and there just minor ones fucking minor ones yeah and it would have fucking i think it would have ended up a lot more fun honestly yeah i think people uh who've never seen guyver 2 dark hero will find it funny in a in a kind of mystery science theater kind of way throughout you know um it, it definitely has its moments throughout that are very enjoyable from a serious standpoint but it's schlocky because of the scenes that we mentioned. And Robert, you know, I hope we did it justice for you by breaking this movie down. There's We shared what we loved, what we didn't love, what works, what doesn't work. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm glad we watched it. I'm yeah. glad. Thank you for bringing it to the table. Yeah. It's still available on physical media. So, uh, you know, forget about streaming services. I know people are like, is it streaming somewhere? Go buy it on Blu-ray, or it's not on Blu-ray. Go buy it on DVD. Yeah, uh, you, you sent me media. the DVD. Uh, did you get it off of eBay or, or where? Or did uh... I think Amazon? Okay, yeah, it's still available on Amazon. Okay, cool. Yeah, and and you know, uh, for everybody involved in the movie, like for those that didn't do the best job, cinematography, music, uh, and those who did, the actors. I think the actors do a very good job overall uh you know hopefully we'll have kathy elaborate more on if her character was supposed to go more in the guyver route it'll be cool to uh have that conversation with her so look forward to that in the new year but in the meantime um this was guyver too and you know not only 
did Robert get a double dose this month? We're also going to have Robert on our wrap up yeah. to discuss these movies a little bit further, get his take on why he chose these two films. Yeah. That's on our wrap up after dark. It's on our Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark to sign up. If you already are a member, thank you so much. If you're considering becoming one, uh, give us a try. See if you like it. And uh, maybe you'll become a top tier patron and request your own movie like so many great patrons have done. Robert, Aaron, uh, Crystal, and Cam Sully. So thank you guys for bringing these movies to the table. Thank you for introducing something that we might not necessarily choose. Yeah. We do have some Christmas movies coming up next month. And if you want to know what those are, go to our Patreon, sign up, and you'll get a jumpstart on that through our wrap up after dark yeah wrap up uh, not only will we be talking to rob about the movies but we'll also be announcing what movies we are going to be reviewing in december as well but yeah dude i mean i know we had our problems with this movie but i'm not upset about the fact that that we watched it you know like i'm not upset about the fact that we we brought it to the table thanks to rob and everything i think there are, this movie has a lot going for it um and it is a i think it is a, a cult classic from the 90s i think it really really is i can i can see why i can totally see why because the people who love the Guyver story will love it for what it is. People that love kind of cheesy B movies will love it yeah. for that reason too. So it's got a little bit for everybody. And for those people that, you know, uh, yeah, it's got a little bit for everybody. Guyver, Guyver, <laughs> <And> Guyver, Guyver. <laughs> and I gotta say this movie does feel like a labor of love. Like I can feel the love in this movie for, the property of, you know, the Giver, the, the the Japanese anime property. I feel the love of it in this movie. And I mean, honestly, it's I feel like it's kind of amazing. As as boring as the first movie was, or at least as I remember it to be, it's kind of amazing that we got a part two to that. And I still think it's better than a lot of movies that John Carpenter made during the nineties. So, yeah. and if you want our take on those movies, go to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark and yeah. check out the Carpenter factor series. Yeah, dude, you're, you're not wrong. That's the funny thing is like, as much as we revere and put Carpenter up on a pedestal, like I would watch Guyver two over his masters of horror series, you know, and, and maybe some other things, Maybe well, we'll not. Get, maybe not the ward though. Like you know, go and check that out. But yeah, yeah dude. find out what the is it. Is the ward the current episode? No, that the we're ward. Gonna... This will be out before the ward comes out. So I'll just kind of you know give a little bit of a preview of the ward for those of you who who, who are signed up and not signed up. Um, the ward kind of goes a, a, a different direction that we didn't expect and. Uh, we might actually very much enjoy that movie. So you'll have to check out, like you said, you have to check it out on, on Patreon. But you're not wrong, dude. Like, even with its faults, I would still watch this movie again. I might watch it with somebody else and, like, kind of put it on the background and, you know, smoke some weed, drink some beers, like, talk during it. But I think the Zoonoid Guyver fights, I think whoever I watch it with, I think we'll pay attention. Like, I think the shit that works about this movie fucking works really well. And 
I've watched it three times in the past week. So uh, I can tell you that it, you can watch it several times and still find <laughs> enjoyment out of it. And still survive. So thank you so much. Uh, Rob, thank you for supporting the show. Thank you so much, man. Seriously. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, dude. Thank um, you. Ex- Excalibur rules. The Giver 2 is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, can't wait to see what you bring to the table next. But uh, thank you so much, man. And, and thank you, everyone who supports the show. You can check out podcastingafterdark.com. That's podcastingafterdark.com. Our website has links to everything. Links to the Patreon. Links to our merch store. Links to every episode, every TV Obscure episode. Everything across the board. All of our social media platforms. So swing over by podcastingafterdark.com. That's podcastingafterdark.com. Dot com. Now, Zach, is there anything you can announce coming out on $2 Lay Fee in December? Uh, what are you guys talking about? What's the big movie of the month? No, I can't. Okay. So, <laughs> anyways, thank you guys, and we'll catch you on the dark side. No, but I can I can tell you by, by the time that this episode drops, we just released Territory Marks. So, really quickly, yeah, if you want a head start on what comes out on two dollar late fee in december uh go over to our paid go over to two dollar late fees patreon patreon.com slash two dollar late fee and sign up for that uh tales from the video store we always kind of drop hints at what's to come for the following month but territory marks uh which is a part of two dollar late fee we just depending on when this episode comes out we just dropped a thankful for flair episode two matches where rick flair puts over talent um and it's it's an interesting episode because we just kind of we 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 celebrate uh nature boy rick flair in the 80s and how amazing he was back then Woo! and going into december you know, Dustin and I attended the screening of an upcoming film called The Iron Claw, which is about Dallas wrestling in tech, Dallas wrestling in the 80s, world class championship wrestling and the Von Erich family. It's a very uh, tragic story, but it's a really well done film. And we're going to be covering uh, the Von Erich family in December on Territory Marks and have a very special interview with someone closely connected to the family um if you want to know more about that sign up to our patreon uh if not then just stay tuned for later in the month and you'll hear it anyways <laughs> sign up to our spotify apple podcast blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> anyways uh how about Corey? anything else going on in the world of podcasting after dark or is that it um, by the time you guys are listening to this, Zach and I will be doing uh, panels down at the uh, L.A. Comic-Con in early December. And then, yeah, man, we got fucking uh, Christmas movies coming out in December, so stay tuned. Rocking and rolling. And then uh, freaking January. I, oh my God, man. It, we never end. We never stop producing content. So thank you all so much for uh, supporting the show, especially Rob. Thank you so much, man. Um yeah, thank you for the Giver. Really appreciate you and appreciate your, you know, your love and support for the show and everything. And as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. 
and visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. <laughs>